Hey everyone, this is John. This is Wade. And this is Ryan. And this is the Nintendo Show, the best damn Nintendo podcast on the internet. Normally we do an official show at the end of the month, but this is the Retro Show. And on the Retro Show, like it implies, we're going to rewind the clock. To when? 21 years ago, back to May of 2002, and you guys, what a time to be alive. This this was one of those months. We were living in the millennium, and this was a month. Yes, it certainly was. What uh, makes it a month, John? I'm glad you asked, Wes. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of the games we talked about. Yeah, it's May. 31 days. Mm-hmm. So it's a little more month than most months. <laughs> so it's February, certainly. It's like no competition. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about uh, the, the music and the movies, all like the pop culture stuff. But to start things out, I guess some historical events to put us within the context oh, of time. I have some historical events, too. Oh, why don't you kick us I off? I wonder if our historical... Do you have any uh, science dare say, space-related stuff to talk about? Uh, nothing really to get in deep about, but I do have one or two things. Why don't, why don't you go through yours? Okay. Um, so May 6th, SpaceX mm-hmm. officially forms. This is founded by Elon Musk, who partners with Tom Mueller. And he's famous now for owning a website. Yeah. Yeah, that he is. Uh, <laughs> what, you mean PayPal? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Elon Musk is, of course, uh, has become this weird thing in mm. today's day and age. But back then, yeah, he was a relative unknown. I mean, I think at the time, yeah, he had made his money on PayPal. I don't think he had started Tesla. Um, I don't think he had really been involved in anything other than uh, cashing in emeralds from his family do- family's mines in Africa mm. where they exploited their labor. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, it was a small... Casually slipped that in. Not allegedly, <laughs> definitely. So this, it remained, Casually, too. It, yeah, it remained a small company. Around 2006 is when things really take off for them, where they uh, get $300 million in government funding. And it was a novel approach on their part. Their strategy was to... And what would make SpaceX successful? Believe it, literally not. Just this past weekend, I watched, with my own eyes, one of their rockets go up. On, in, I was in Satellite Beach. So they uh, had that manned flight that was going to take the first, like commercial travel like these people were not scientists or astronauts they were just shooting people tourists out there to fucking do it yeah so i mean it's 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 big that they did this and it really is uh the brainchild of this tom Mueller guy whose whole approach was to um uh homogenize the process do it cheaply and do it quickly um and reuse the reuse the boosters i think is probably their biggest thing that's why the boosters come back they're not just launching them off and then burning them like they're just one-off rockets. They're trying to reuse the components to cut down waste. Because that's what you want. You want to hop in a rocket with a booster that's gone off ten times. Yeah. That's just, just... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're doing the upkeep. And hey, granted, the, the one-use rockets don't have a great track record either. Eh, that's I mean, fair. It, it, I mean, they are rockets. Yeah, so. it's, it's famously difficult. <laughs> there's a reason we, we have it. Ain't rocket science as a phrase. Well, there's a lot of sailors that found the ocean floor, but you gotta fucking try. Hmm. You know, it's it's... Human endeavor, it's worth doing. I don't know where I'm going with this. May 26th, let's fast forward. May 26th, um, the Mars Odyssey orbiter discovers that there is not only ice on Mars, but water on Mars. Which Yeah, I, had we, the, I saw this one too. Yeah, we didn't we didn't know this was a thing, and I think it, it really means that we can now terraform Mars. And, and now, like, well... Send Arnold Schwarzenegger there, man. Fine, I'm not going, though. You, ice anyone who wants to go to Mars, fuck it, have fun. I'm staying here. Um... <laughs> 
it, it's uh, it's funny to think that like it wasn't until 2002 that we started to like find like water and ice on Mars. Now like water's fucking everywhere. Anywhere we look in the universe, like yeah, there's some water right there too. But there was a time where we thought that it was like this rare commodity we had on this planet. Yeah, like, there's, there's I, I water think... on the moon. That's where they keep the whales. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's sort of a it's it's this. Uh, we want to know how much of space is truly alien or how much mm. of it is like what we know as as life and yeah like that's a water is a fundamental building block of our very existence we don't mankind does not exist without water right so or, cool. or earth life in general there yeah yeah again we can't do anything with it it will take generations upon generations to make mars livable uh but yeah that's that's cool uh i got one non-space thing to talk about Hit me. Um, do you guys know who Chandra Levy is? Oh, yeah. Uh, I had oh. this one, too. Oh, you did? They found the corpse of Chandra Levy. Sure did. Well, she went missing, and then they found her remains in the same month. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, this was one of those things where it was like before 9-11, this was the sort of thing that captured everyone's attention. Mm. This was like a big thing. Even if you weren't like paying attention to the news, like Wes, you might recognize the name Gary Condon. Mm-hmm. A bad with names. You know this. Okay. Anyway. He was, a, was, a, was a governor or senator? A, was a, senator. a senator. He was a senator, right? And he, even though he denies it to this day, he was having an affair with her, uh, um, with, with this intern. Her name was just an intern. She was like an assistant, but she worked in, in Congress. Her name was Chandra Levy. And then one day while jogging, she goes, just flatly goes missing. Um, and then it takes, you know, we're talking right now in May of 2002. She goes missing. Wasn't it like early 2001? Like, she's been missing for a long, long time. Well, did she go missing? I thought she went missing and then got found within the same month. Like, early in May she went missing, and then late in May. I don't know, maybe it was a whole year. I don't know. I know that she had been missing well before then, because mm. literally the same... Because I, I listened to a, I listened to a two-hour podcast about her and about this whole oh, thing tremendous. that happened with her. Please recount the whole thing. I will not. Um, and <laughs> her family was going to do an interview with Oprah mm. on the day of 9-11. Oh, shit. And Condit was going to be on Good Morning America that same day. Both were scrubbed, obviously, because 9-11 happens. Um, and then from there, and I think it was some un- unordinate amount of articles. There was like 300 articles were made about Chandra Lee before oh, yeah, 9-11. This, this, yeah, there's a big deal. Three were made after. Mm. She f- completely fell out of the news cycle. Her, her death, this woman's death, fell out of the news cycle the moment 9-11 happened because it was such a huge event for all of us. Um, and yeah, so this... It, it does It does seem like at this point kind of uh, quaint. Not this person's death, but the fact that like, something can occupy the news cycle from May of 2001 till September of 2001. My goodness, one story that people were obsessing over for that long? My goodness. Well, because it's very uh, clickbaity. It's very, mm. what would you say, tabloid mm. um, kind of narrative here. Because you want to believe it's Condit. The Condit in some way was having an affair with this, which he obviously was. They, the, and if you're wondering, like, can we be certain? They found his DNA in her panties. Mm. It's pretty conclusive. Yeah. So you can't deny that that happened, right? She was even like... Uh, it wasn't even his... Did she go jogging? It wasn't even her assistant. You said that? she went missing when she went jogging. Yes. So she went jogging and went missing. So that means... I can tell you did it. Or who probably did it. Who probably did it. There was an uh, uh, like a migrant worker who was documented... Uh, but he was apparently doing this thing where he was chasing women in the park or something. For fun. 
He's been putting out a silly mask. Yeah. He probably, here's the thing, he probably did it, but he was already in jail because of that. By the way, this is a, if anything, this is a narrative of police incompetence. Um, but he was already in jail for that, and they basically got him to confess to murdering her. So whether or not he did or didn't, we really don't even know, but it seems like he was already in the park doing this sort of thing. And Wacky we find, fun. Yeah, we find her body, and, and like she wasn't, assault, she wasn't sexually assaulted or anything like that. Um, but it looks like he tried to assault her, tried to grab her, and she died somehow, and it just fell into like a little ravine somewhere, and, and it took forever for them to find her. Long story short, they got they were able to pin it on him because of a police informant uh, who was in prison with him, a prison informant, and then found out that that same prison informant had been giving false testimony against tons of other prisoners, mm. thereby invalidating all of these sentences. But because he was only a documented worker, you know what they did? Shipped him back to Costa Rica. So... Oh, boy. And by the way, do you want to know when this resolved? When he was officially kicked out of America? 2016. That's how... Was he in prison? Yeah. That entire time? Oh, my God. Yeah, he he was in prison and then exonerated of all charges because of corrupt... You know, basically police 14 corruption. Fourteen years later, holy cow! Yeah, well, I mean, he's already in jail serving crimes for assaulting other women. This guy's yeah. no hero. This guy's a, a real piece of shit. Oh no, I'm not saying. Oh, thank God, he justice was finally served. He's released. Like, no, I'm there. Like, there are definitely a lot of truly innocent people who are railroaded and sent to uh, disgusting prison. But sentences. sometimes they get it right. <laughs> this was one where they just. And again, we despite their best efforts, we, justice was served. <laughs> we don't know for certain if it even was him or if it was someone else that did it or mm. what the circumstances were. We'll never really know. Um, and because of shitty police work, we'll never know. Like Gary Condit guy might know. Gary Condit, however, he did end up. Yeah, he was lo- lost his re-election campaign mm. by one of the largest margins. And, Ended yeah. up on South Park. Did he? he oh yeah, there he was, was a, South Park. There, there was this episode where uh, like the. Um, Butter's parents fake his his abduction because they have him locked in the basement. And like, oh god, the parents that of like Jean, episode. Jean Benet Ramsey oh, like man. comes in and yeah, and Gary Condent is there. Like, oh, we think we think the the guy who took your son might have abducted our loved ones too. Uh huh. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think O.J. Simpson was was part of that episode. Anyway, neither here nor there. I have one last event to talk about it. Yeah. And this one kind of pushes up against gaming, anyways. So I feel like, I don't know if you want to talk about that now, we're talking about when we talk about games. Let's, Someone let's, was beat to death with an N64. No, let's, uh, <laughs> let, let's save that one for a moment. Like, uh, I got a, a few quick sports hits to, uh, to go through here. Uh, Trevor Hoffman got his 321st save for the San Diego Padres, which at the time was the record for most saves for a single team. So oh. very cool. Barry Bonds hit his 400th home run as a San Francisco Giant. So he then had uh, 100 for uh, his previous team, the Portland put, put him over 500 at that point. Um, uh, a couple of uh, tragic events. We'll get the sad stuff out of the way before we go into some other stuff here. Um, a Chinese commercial airplane crashed into the Yellow Sea. 112 people died. Uh-oh. Uh, a Chinese airline flight 611 broke apart mid-air. It was a big 747. Broke apart mid-air. 255 people died. Oh, Holy shit. God. No one should be flying in the years 2001 and 2002. Mm-hmm. There's a train wreck in Mozambique. 197 people dead from that train wreck. We should Real. just put parachutes in like the seats of the airplanes. So the the cushions yeah. are also a flotation device. That doesn't help if you're plummeting. 
Or over land. <laughs> We're only about 150 deaths away from Taco Bell's free taco if a thousand people die <laughs> in public transit accidents in a month. <laughs> Let me tell you about this tugboat. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, some, some, some better news. Uh, some film stuff. Uh, the Cannes Film Festival was in May of 2002. Bowling for Columbine premiered. Not exactly a happy film, wow. but um, I probably one that uh, uh, put Michael Moore onto more of like a mainstream map than um, he directed. Do you know he directed the film Canadian Bacon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that movie. It was really good. It's so funny. Yeah, ten out of ten. Yeah, and he did Roger and Me, I think, before Bowling for Columbine. Uh, yeah, that was his first. Um, I, I love I love his films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, highly entertaining for sub. That's like very deeply depressing subject matter. Yeah. But um, the film that, I guess in quotes, won the Cannes Film Festival was The Pianist, which is that... Uh, Adrian all, Brody. Also goes, yeah, also goes on to win, I think, some Academy Awards. Cool. Adrian Brody in uh, uh, war-torn Poland in World War II. With the, with the controversial director, what's his name? Roman Polanski. Yeah, Polanski. Who is not allowed in this country for good reason. Yeah. The guy's yeah. a bit of a perv. Yeah, he... Um, well, so it's sad... Uh, I mean, Wes, do you know much about Roman Polanski? Again, names. I'm sure I do, but... He, he directed uh, Rosemary's Baby. Um, uh, the China, Chinatown. Mm-hmm. He did this movie. No, so he his wife uh, was Sharon Tate. Um, and she, while pregnant, was murdered by the Manson family. Uh, so start with that. Like, he has had some truly awful things happen in his life. He did some awful things, including um, sexually assaulting a, uh, a drunk 16-year-old? 16, 17, yeah, yeah underage. Underage, underage on yeah, you, you don't do that. Yeah, the, yeah that's a no. Not, the, a... not that one event led to the other, but these are the two. Aside from the two films I named, great director. He's a very good director. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are some wild events that have occurred in this guy's life, and that's why he doesn't ever come to America, because he would be arrested if he did. And for what it's worth, you know, it's always people always bring this up, um, that the 16-year-old woman does not want him, who at that time was 16, who was now probably 60, has said that she does not want to press charges and that he should not be uh, banned from coming to the United States. Hmm. But hey, I don't go. know. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's hard to give consent when you're underage. Anyway, neither here nor there, because yeah. we're talking about some other stuff. Uh, I don't think that I had any... Oh, oh uh, Iceland ratified the Kyoto Protocols, which is an agreement between nations about uh, doing things to combat climate change way back in 2002. They became the 55, 55th member to make it, uh, to, to ratify the protocols, making it official. And there's not anything really binding to make sure that people follow, or countries follow the guidelines to fight things like climate change. But, you know, back in 2002, we were aware. 21 years later, you know, still, still room for improvement. Yeah, everyone get your floaties. All Floridians, get your floaties. Mm. But we let's just go. move. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to... No, you stop it. All right, what, what's the thing that will connect us to gaming here? So, a uh, corporation you've probably heard of called Sony made the decision to slash the price of the PS2 as though mm. they didn't own this market already, reducing it from 249 to $199. My goodness. They also reduced the price of the PS1 to $49 and reduce the price on all memory cards and controllers for both consoles. That's dirt cheap. This was their way of basically just putting their throat on the entire console gaming industry. Mm. Um, I can't... They're actually... (laughs) CNN literally has some money articles about it where they're talking about this happening. Like, I literally have the links to the articles that were fascinating to read. They were pricing them out, too. 
a low-end Panasonic DVD player in the winter of 2001 would have cost about $200. Hmm. So they're basically saying, like, not only is this a gaming console, it does the same thing a DVD DVD player does, and it's the exact same price. Yep. Really impressive. Really, and that's a low end Panasonic one that probably just has a button, like a controller with like six buttons. You know, and granted, prices were dropping. Can't even skip the DVD intros. Yeah, and they were also saying that DVD players at the time, I mean, I don't remember buying one at the time, but they were thought of as throw-ins. You would try to get someone to buy a nice new flat-screen TV, or you would try to get them to buy a 5-1 surround sound. And then, you know, the sugar to throw on top of that would be, like, we'll give you a DVD player, too, for free. Or at a, at a heavily discounted rate. And by, and by flat-screen, you, of course, mean those big box TVs. Yeah, actually, uh, were flat-screens even around then? I don't even think so. But no, whatever. No. Whatever the nice TVs were at the time. Um... So yeah, I thought that was that was uh, absolutely wild that they made that decision. They really saw an opportunity to just take the entire market for themselves. And yeah. were like, that's fine. We'll sell these things at cost or below cost just because we know we're going to... A little over, what, 18 months after launch at that yeah. point? Yeah. And, um, oh, Xbox at the time was $300. Mm. $300 for an Xbox. Uh, GameCube was $200. Yep. And I don't know if they... I know they're going to lower their price at some point. Yeah, it'll, it'll drop to 99 at some point. Yeah. Just to, just to get it out there, I guess. Yep. So that's that's the other, honestly, that was like I think the biggest thing in all of the news was, was that decision by not them. the finding the body or anything or that's a whole that's all this other stuff. But this this is the biggest thing that we got to talk about news wise this month. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't disagree. <laughs> See, two two gets one man. Uh, but uh, we do have some video games to go through here. Yeah. Uh, well, why don't we start with um. Well, let's start with the GameCube one because there is a GameCube game. Is it the one I wrote, wrote about? Lost guys? Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Oh, uh, well, you, you got some notes on. Why don't you take us away? I watched some gameplay of it. I didn't. I never played this. I've um, played a little bit of the sequel, but not this original. What's one. it called? It's Lost called Kingdoms. Lost Kingdoms. Yeah, it's a it's a hybrid deck building hack and slash RPG, uh, and I, I don't know what you would compare it to exactly. Um, it does feel a little Dark Soulsy. It's made by From Software. Yeah, you're kind of in a in a thing where you're running around. I, I noticed that basically you can attack, or if you can attack, you can barely attack. You, you don't attack, and you're trying not to die. Right. While at the same time summoning these cards that have awful cooldowns. So what will happen is you're you're in like a uh, almost a gauntlet style like stage or level, and your character is moving around, and you'll get into these random encounters. There are certain places where random encounters are off, and then other places where random encounters are available, and it basically is because when you get into a random encounter, it's kind of like Okami style, where it pretty much sends you into a screen, which is just a cutout of the area you were already in. So the terrain has to be friendly enough to where you can actually move around and fight off these enemies. And you will, uh, you'll have these cards available to you, you can do some deck building, and the cards that you draw will be mapped to your face buttons. And some of those cards will be like uh, melee attacks or like a ranged attack, so you can just uh, do some damage. And there will be other cards that will actually summon a monster to come in there and either like draw some aggro for you or do some damage for you. Um, and there, there's like a, a currency to the game that we won't get into the minutia of it, but uh, there, when when you use cards, there's uh, a certain amount of uses they have before it's no longer available to you during that run of the stage. But then there are ways to uh, replenish the economy of that. Okay. I actually, uh, the, it does. The artwork is really cool. This it's one of those things nice. where the cards are like way overly designed. Mm. And, I mean, to, in a good way. 
they're just a very busy artwork on all of it. There's a lot of detail in this maps as well with like the grass and the hills and stuff like that. I mean, there's there's a lot going on for like a GameCube game. This looks nice. I mean, it's definitely a step up over N64, that's for sure. But it is kind of a, a weird comparing things visually after we've just gotten one of the best visual GameCube games that we're going to see in uh, the original Resident Evil remake just yeah. last month. Um, also, no, this is an exclusive. Mm-hmm. This is GameCube only. Like This yeah. didn't get to other consoles that I'm aware of or PC. Yeah, I think it only ever released on GameCube. It's not uh, available in any other like future systems like Steam or anything as far as I know. And they made a sequel. Like next year, there will be a sequel to this, Lost Kingdoms too. Mm-hmm. So I'd play this. This looks good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can uh, get a disc for it if you want for your GameCube. It's only seven hundred and forty dollars. <laughs> how much is it? I actually did not look, I it, didn't up. Even look it up. It's, yeah, it's probably un, uh, unreasonably expensive. I have a working GameCube, anyways. Oh, that's <laughs> sad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I don't have too much to, uh, else to say about this game. It it's interesting that. Uh, there's a, there's a From Software game available. Like we, we've talked about a couple of From Software games for this uh, this generation. The previous one was uh, The Adventure of Cookie and Cream, and that one uh, was not on the GameCube. That was PS2 only. Where I th- I feel like I remember seeing a bunch of game uh, sorry game uh, GBA games. Right? Did you have any to talk about? I did have a bunch of GBA games. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but we we can uh, knock out the console and PC stuff first if you want. I'm totally fine with that. Let's go to Medal of Honor. Okay, yeah, so Medal of Honor Frontline comes out on the PlayStation. This is an EA title. Um, it, If you were to watch the gameplay, it's very one of those Storming of Normandy, uh, hitting the same beats as Saving Private Ryan did. Um, it's trying to be a, you know, a historical, but act, like historically accurate, technical first-person shooter. Um, it did well. I mean, it did well, sold about 3 million copies, but this entire franchise is about to get eaten alive by Activision with their Call of Duty series. So, I mean, if you, you got Call of Duty sales are fucking absurd. Each one of those titles sells nowadays like 30 million a piece. Like, it's yeah, crazy. When, when Call of Duty originally launches, they kind of coexist for a couple years, but Medal of Honor fades out pretty quickly because Call of Duty just becomes so dominant in the first-person shooter space. I don't remember the exact title of it as well, but um, there were some relatively, probably within the past five years, some Medal of Honor games. It seems like what the mm. Medal of Honor franchise now does is focuses more on, like, one very narrow specific mechanic of of classical warfare like they'll have one where it's all dog fighting or tanks zeppelins sure <laughs> i'm sure they've got like a rocketeer style <laughs> fighting game oh my god i'd love that <laughs> if they did no but it seems yeah it seems like they're trying to do more of the the niche like people that care about bomber games or something i'm just making mm. that one up i don't know what the other ones are but just from looking at them it's not like it's supposed to be just a big 20 versus 20 first person shooter free for all mm. kind of thing it seems like they're trying to go for a, a specific market with each one of those games versus yeah. again uh, call of duty which just like owns the market yeah and then this one uh, medal of honor frontline will release on the gamecube in november of 2002 so it eventually makes it to multiple platforms Mm-hmm. Uh, the campaign will actually take you about uh, nine hours to work through. It's not bad for that's, a first-person shooter. That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty I, uh, pretty hefty. And just for context, like uh, the game we were talking about before, Lost Kingdoms, um, it's a pretty brisk game. It took about six hours to, mm-hmm. to get through, according to how long to beat. Uh, and I, I was watching some things about this uh, Lost Kingdoms game where there's uh, little collectibles and stuff uh, throughout the stages, but some of these collectibles are actually missable, so the, the person reviewing the game was actually advising, okay, when uh, when you run through a stage, 
um, the first time you're going through, just kind of like scout out and find out where things are. But then when you get to the boss fight, just quit out of it because it'll actually save all of like the, your your collectibles that you got uh, as you were scouting. You don't have to like finish the stage in order to save everything. So you know, just running through it collecting things the first time through and then like the second time that'll be like your your serious runner trying to actually finish the boss mm-hmm. um that probably pads out the gameplay a little bit there too since you're doing everything twice one more game one for, more game from from my side of things here yeah for the um, pc yeah for uh, elder scrolls 3 morrowind releases so this is a bethesda game yeah. wes any experience with this one have i have not i i love skyrim it's one of my favorite games yeah I've put many hours into Skyrim, but I don't know what I don't know what it is. But it's something about Oblivion and Morrowind because they're lower graphics. I'm guessing. Which wasn't there a remake for Oblivion recently? Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't. I really might be making things up. I got a little into Oblivion, but I can't really like put time into it like I have Skyrim. But Morrowind's just yeah. I, I never played Morrowind. Shows its age. Yeah. Well, it's in got my a, opinion, yeah. but. It's got a formula. I mean, again, like it's probably the same thing you would say about Skyrim. It's very uh, dialogue heavy. It's very RPG, conversation trees, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that while Skyrim is regarded as like one of the probably one of the best games ever made, maybe best games of the past has it's been ten years. It's probably been it's been longer than ten years. When did that game come out? Twenty eleven, probably twenty ten. Uh, Who knows? I feel like that game's been around forever. Yeah. But at any rate, it's it's one of one of the best action RPG games made, um, and yeah, it, it's it helps that you have a game like this, which sold like five million copies. That's really good, really good sales. Yeah, um, to kind of keep the series chugging along, and Oblivion's going to do even better, and then of course Skyrim will be one of the most significant games in the past 10, 15 years. It'll release on everything. Yeah, I need them to hurry up and come out with the next one. Even a VR game, but it's going to be a freaking exclusive, probably. Of course it is. Of course it is. It better not be. It will be. It just like Starfield. I don't want like it to it, be. I don't want it. Tough. I heard it's also going to come out on the Switch Pro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, amazing. Super Switch. <laughs> Super Switch. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into some GBA stuff. Let's hear it. Because do a, a number of things here. I got uh, three games. Uh, Tactics Odor: The Night of Lotus comes out for the GBA. This one was developed by Quest. Odor? Like smell? Odess. Odess. No, Tactics Ogre. Ogre. The Knight of Lotus. You said Odur. No, I didn't. Eh. I'm going to rewind the tape. We are rewinding. Yeah, we are recording. So. <laughs> I'm going to edit in. <laughs> just like Kevin said, Odur. <laughs> you just said Odur there. I know. That was the joke. Okay. Okay. This is all getting cut. <laughs> um, this one was developed by Quest who developed the Tactics Ogre series uh, since the start of it. There were a couple of Super Nintendo games as well as the N64 game, Ogre Battle, um, that we talked about uh, a few months back. A handful of us... So, um, Quest has been around since, uh, I think, the, the, the late 80s, early 90s. Back in 95, after the development of the second Super Nintendo game, um, a handful of people, like a key like story writer, artist, they actually left Quest and they went and joined Squaresoft. And what was the first game they made for Squaresoft? It was Final Fantasy Tactics. The development team that was uh, remained at Quest makes uh, Ogre Battle 64, they make this GBA game, but then uh, later in 2002, in, in the future from where we are, 
they're going to get bought out by Squaresoft and absorbed, and the team remaining at Quest will get restructured into uh, Squaresoft as Product Development Division 4. Tremendous name. But they get reunited with the people who left in 1995, and what's the next game they make? Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. So they, these two series are, are very much intertwined, not only in like uh, the, the art style, but also in just the gameplay style. They are grid-based uh, tactical RPGs. Um, Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre are you know, probably slightly more like class-based, whereas like in Final Fantasy Tactics and Tactics Advance, you have a bit more freedom as to uh, what class you're going to take uh, different uh, characters and do different character builds and swap classes. Whereas in Ogre Battle, you know, you have options about how you're upgrading your characters and class changing them as you advance throughout the game. But they are going to be like a slightly more rigid about what you can do. Like not only are like certain classes going to improve in different ways and like kind of like Sacred Stone. So they have different options based on their base class, what they're going to go into next. But they're also going to be like, like gender-based. Whereas a male character can become like a, a dragoon a female character will become a valkyrie which is a similar kind of base character but they differentiate in uh, slight ways there are also like uh undead characters um and who that don't class change and dragon characters and like all these things uh, so like the lagoos it's yeah sort of <laughs> um there, there are different ways to recruit them into your party. You start with like a very small base set of units, and then all these other characters, again, similar to Fire Emblem, you can recruit into your party throughout the happening of the game. And like the way that they are growing and improving and class changing also has to do with your affinity. And I think this had something to do with what Ryan was talking about way back when we talked about Ogre Battle. March of the Black Queen, yeah. Where you have like a sort of uh, morality. It was like an alignment. Yeah, it was like a good evil alignment. So you know, a, a knight could, in theory, become. Uh, I'm trying. I'm thinking what even the, the branching things were. I honestly, I know you could be like a vampire. I don't mm. know if it went straight to vampire. If there was another step in the way, but yeah, if if you find yourself even like just battling lower level enemies was one of those things that made it seem like that would make you seem more evil. It would make it seem like you were. Um, like the invading horde, and then the town folk would react differently to you when you got there. All that to say, like you could be a paladin or you could be a vampire. You know, you have, all, every character has these cha- like paths that they could go down. You could be a witch or you could be like a priestess. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's probably some, something along those lines, and that determines. Also, you can't really mix and match. You're not supposed to play the good with the bad characters. You kind of want to keep them aligned with whatever they're supposed to be. And then uh, Ogre Battle, March of the Black Queen, was it like, you had like a squad that you built out, right? Yeah, it was smaller units mm-hmm. that would then go fight other units. So you might have 40 units in battle, but they would be split across maybe uh, 10 to 11 teams, where you have a front row and a back row, and depending upon, like classic example would be like, you got a big Cerberus looking beast, and then you got a Beastmaster. Obviously the big monster goes up front, Beastmaster in the back, if you swapped them it would just be terrible strategy. It mm. would mean that Beastmaster, who's kind of soft and squishy would get killed, he wouldn't be able to buff the thing in the back and the thing in the back has a really shitty ranged attack. You know? Or, yeah. you know, and if you get it, you can use a couple of big units, or you could use a whole bunch of smaller units, so you could have like a row of knights backed by white mages and black mages. Mm. So, 
It, it does. Um, I think with Ogre Battle 64, I'm not sure about the, the second Super Nintendo game, but certainly by the time you get to Tactics Ogre, it is much more of like a Final Fantasy Tactics style where it's like individual yeah. units, much more a, a character-based. Uh, I'm actually not sure if there is permanent death or anything like that within the game. Um, so I, I'm not sure how much it behaves with like Fire Emblem in that sense. But like uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, you know, your your position relative to your enemy, like if you're flanking them or attacking them from behind or attacking them from elevation, is going to net you benefits like uh, increased critical hit ratio, just doing more damage, better accuracy, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's weird. Actually, to think about it that way, like the old Tactics Ogre games feel more like um, like Advance Wars. Hmm. Yeah. You know, um, where you've got these troops kind of vying for turf versus, again, just looking at screen grabs of this, it's like, this is so clearly. I, I, I for a minute there, just assumed this was Final Fantasy Tactics, mm -hmm. and I was just looking, someone just poorly labeled the images. <laughs> this looks just fucking like it. It's crazy yeah. how similar these two games are. Yeah. Uh, but it reviewed pretty well, kind of low to mid eights at the time, so pretty solid. Uh, sold this is just a great concept for a game. These are just like well built fun, delightful kinds of games. Oh, yeah. They're, they're very all, addictive. Yeah, and always, like, really beefy games. Uh, it takes about 30 hours to do, like, a single playthrough, and that's that's huge. For, they, this just came to the Switch as well, right? They re-released it for the Switch. I don't think they... Uh, it might have been this game, but I'm not 100% sure. They re Did remade, they do something with the Ogre? They remade a Tactics Ogre game, but okay. I don't know if it's this one. Oh, okay. Um, re is Tactics Ogre Reborn? is the name of it, but Reborn of what, though? I'm not sure. Is it not a remake? Maybe it's not even a remake. I don't, I don't know. think it's brand new. Where's my Switch? Come but anyway, you could... Uh, 30 hours to play through. Really beefy for a GBA game. You could actually spend double that time if you're like working on min-maxing your characters. So, lots to get through on this one. This will chew up a lot of AA batteries. Sold all right. Did about uh, 250,000, so you know, okay for the game that it is, but not super impressive. It did manage to get to the top 40 selling games for the year 2002, so all right, That's that, really that means anything. A GBA cart will run you run you about uh, 60 bucks now. Totally worth it. So <laughs> probably about double what it was at uh, at the time. It is not available on any other platform or download service, so the only way to play this game is on the GBA, unless the remake on Switch is a remake of this game, and I guess that counts. But, you know, if you're looking for a Tactics Ogre game, uh, the the Switch remake of whatever version is probably the way to go. We also... Tactics Odor. The Tactics Odor. Yeah, the, the tax, Tactics Odor, of course. Yes. Um, Bomberman Max 2 releases on the GBA in May of 2002. This one was developed by Hudson, who we've mentioned before. Based on the 2010 release. Okay. I wonder if the 2010 release was uh, a remake of something else. Anyway, neither here nor there. Bomberman Max 2, developed by Hudson. We've talked about them before. Published by Majestico in North America. Uh, it's Bomberman with two different playable characters and two different versions of the game for some reason. If you're not familiar with the Bomberman formula, it's basically you are on a grid working your way through a maze. There are obstacles in your way in your maze but you can blow them up. You can blow up the obstacles and your bombs will have a certain like uh, uh, radius of explosive damage that will go out in the available directions. 
uh, if you are within your own blast radius, you will die. It's a one-hit death thing. There are also enemies you can trap using bombs. Uh, blowing up obstacles in your way will also net you upgrades and benefits like increased uh, range of the radius of your blasts, uh, increased like, number of bombs you can place on the ground at one time. You can improve your character's speed. But basically, you're just trying to work your way from one end of the maze to the other, and sometimes you'll have to eliminate all enemies along the way. That's Bomberman. Um, they're, the two playable characters are, of course, Bomberman and this other character, Max, who was invented in the series in some other game, and they decided to name the game after both of those things. The, there are... Well, there is one multiplayer option, and you can uh, play multiplayer through the cable, the link cable for the GBA, and it's uh, it's got single card download up to four players. So if one person owns the game, and you have enough link cables and GBAs, all people can play off of one card. Um, it's a side-scrolling sort of arena battler for some reason. They didn't do like the top-down traditional Bomberman thing, but like the gameplay is almost exactly the same. We're just kind of like walking around this 2D plane, dropping bombs and trying to blow each other up. I remember Bomberman having yeah, that isometric look, kind of like a Final Fantasy Tactics would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it works well for that because it's easy to like understand your own locomotion throughout the level. When it becomes side-scrolling, like well, you can't move up or down. You're just kind of moving in the two directions. So it's very limiting in that way. You could get this game, or one version of it anyway, because it's two versions for some reason. Um, you can get it for like 15 bucks if you really wanted to. I don't think you should. It's not available to download anywhere, of course, and only ever released on the GBA. You know, it's about what you expect from a Bomberman game if you're playing through the single-player mode. Six or seven hours to get through the whole thing. Re reviewed all right, kind of low to mid-sevens. Did this get released across other consoles? Nope. Only ever on GBA. Is Bomberman... Yep. A Nintendo franchise? It is not. Technically, it's a Konami franchise now. Because mm, Hudson got bought out by Konami. Does that mean Wes could make some little models if he wanted? He could make some little models. That'd be Ooh. awesome if he did some Bomberman models. That'd be great. Some little Bomberman models. I actually would. He's got a nice character design. I would. He's a lot of fun. And then finally, Earthworm Jim 2 released on the GBA. And when I saw it on the list, I was like, why would I want to talk about Earthworm Jim 2? He's a great I guy. Know, I already know you don't like this series. You don't like Earthworm Jim. No. I remember the last time we brought one up, and I don't know why we were talking about it, but it came up and you were talking about it as though it was just like... I mean, maybe we should just close the book on Earthworm Jim. Like, I think the only reason we bring it up, because I brought it up when we were talking about like Super Nintendo and Genesis games, and it just keeps on... like They keep porting it to more and more things. So it's just like this... Do you think when he takes cold calls, they're like, Hello, Earthworm James. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Please, so. James was my father. <laughs> Call me Sir. <laughs> So it's it's a port of that same side-scrolling action game from the Super Nintendo and the Genesis. It was ported by a company called Game Titan. Don't worry about them; they don't matter. It reviewed pretty poorly. Um, it is a pretty widely available. I remember liking Earthworm Jim like at the time, but the the platforming always felt kind of sloppy, and the level design like it's very like kitschy. It's it's trading a lot on its um, on its style, on its zaniness, on its mid '90s zaniness. Which you know, by 2002, I, I imagine it's getting a little bit long in the tooth. 
it's a brisk game if you feel like playing through it uh, about three hours you could get it on the GBA for like 40 bucks don't it's a worse version of the game the frame rate is worse the amount of pixels you can get on your screen is lower than you would on a, a TV with an old Super Nintendo or a Genesis so there's actually less you can see on the smaller screen it is an overall worse version of the game than you like the sound quality is bad on the GBA if you want the worst possible way you can play Earthworm Jim 2, this is probably a good candidate for that. Uh, it is uh, different from the, the first game in like the, the the amount of like stage variety. Because in the first game, it's pretty much like side-scrolling action stages. And then every once in a while you get like an interstitials or pseudo-racing game uh, with uh, a crow in a spacesuit. And all you ride on your little Scooty Pub Jr., and in, in Earthworm Jim 2, there are stages where you're like uh, playing like this bungee jumping level, or you're playing like a level where it reminds me of like an old game of Pong or something, where you have to like uh, bounce these dogs being tossed out of the window of a burning building into, and, and use your like trampoline drum thing to get them safely into the other building to, to save as many dogs as you can. There are levels where you're playing as sort of like a. Uh, uh, a, a top-down like plane shooter game, like a, like a Galaga or something like that, hmm. and it goes along with like your your standard like side-scrolling action platforming levels. So you know they they tried a bunch of different things, and they're not afraid to be weird. But it's a good thing this franchise is done. I think we're done with it. That's all the games that I got. Wow. Game of the month. Game of the month. I don't know. Uh, what does it have? Does it have to be Morrowind? Do we have to give it by default? I mean, well, yeah, let's it's, just it's give it. Has to be Morrowind. Let's give it to Lost Kingdoms. Okay, I'm in. You know, Lost uh, Kingdoms. Game of the month. Yeah. How about that? They tried to do something really weird and different, and not oh, why not? Why not to fucking uh, Tactics Ogre? Ogre? Sure. That's probably a really good game. That's even yeah. Yeah, I heard it stinks. But no. Stop it. Order. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great joke. I'm funny. <laughs> I'm gonna have to leave that all in now. <laughs> but yeah, Lost King uh no, Tactics Ogre. I think we've decided. That's a good one. I think it's been yeah, a while cool. since we had a GBA game as game of the month. So yeah. good. Good pick. Uh what do you think? We'll take a break and then come back with some music? Sounds good to me. Let's Yerp. do it. Alright, take us away. Alright, so we are into the albums. I think there's a lot of good music here. Uh, I will admit that I wrote my notes on this like three weeks ago so a lot of this I don't even remember what I wrote although I did listen to all these albums so I will I will give you maybe a condensed opinion of all of them cool uh, top of the month uh, you got Weezer's Maladroit mm-hmm. oh, we just talked about the Green Album we did yeah this so is... they're already back with another record well, what kind of name is Maladroit Maladroit so if, uh, if there's a word adroit so adroit means to be um, skillful uh, means to be good at something, so maladroit uh, obviously means that you're clumsy or you're you're kind of bad at something. Yeah. So, and I think that Weezer probably is in this mode where they don't know what they're good at anymore, mm. uh, because you know they have the Blue Album, huge success, def- defined them as a band, and then they have Pinkerton, which now is a beloved record, but at the time they got kind of trashed for making, and then the band themselves practically disowned the record. So this album is a cry for help. <laughs> this album, if if anything, you know, I think this is the missing link between the two sounds that they had. Mm. I think that if Maladroit was their second album, people would have pre- would have appreciated Pinkerton more, 
and they would have dug a lot of the jams on this one because there were a number of really good singles on this one. And I think by comparison, the green the green album just reeks of desperation, like please like us again. And I think that Maladroit actually just is the band being comfortable again making music and just doing whatever they want to do. And again, it's 13 songs, 33 minutes. John, John, you listen to this. What do you think? It moves on a really brisk pace. I don't think there's a single song that's longer than three minutes. Uh, I liked it, but it's, it's definitely like a, a more of like a, not really like a hard rock, but you get to like more of like the, the distorted guitar. And oh, the, the guitar's bangers, really, really big on this record. Uh, rather than what you just saw out of the Green album like eight months ago or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy the, the turnaround that they put on this one. It, it almost made me think that like were these like, things that maybe they were working on when they put out the green album and then just like uh, we have all this other stuff left over let's like just put them out as two and a half minute songs rather than try to flesh them out to three and a half minute songs i don't know that there were any like big singles off of this album uh dope nose was the big single okay. on this one but i mean i like tra- keep fishing was also mm-hmm. a fairly big song burnt jam is good and possibilities those are the ones i really like um, and they have guitar solos again. That's another yep. big thing. Great yeah. album and no fucking guitar solos. And that really is what nails a good Weezer song in my mind is mm. that brisk 10 second ish guitar solo that they love to throw in. Yeah. Um, I, and I like this one. Uh, yeah. I think that um, you know, to, to your point about uh, them making music that, like, hey, please like us again. Like, I think the Green <laughs> album had uh, a few more, like, like, Songs that had like bigger hooks, like catchier hooks. Yeah, I agree. But there's nothing. Uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, the songs on on Maladroit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just uh, a a pleasant, brisk listen. Like you you hear it, and like me, like oh yeah, that's Weezer. Yeah, and again, it's that nice balance of having the stuff you would expect from the Blue Album, but then also there are a few tracks where they do get to experiment a little bit, and they don't go so overboard that you get with Pinkerton. And again, Pinkerton is genius. Pinkerton is, I mean, it's. They're almost two different bands when you look at what the Blue Album is and Pinkerton, but both are amazing in their own way. Um, next on the list, Tom Waits. Do you guys know who Tom Waits is? Mm, no. Tom Waits is an, he's actually an actor, too. He works with Jim Jarmusch a lot. But Tom Waits is sort of a cabaret folk jazz singer. Um, he has this very like gruff voice. If you listen to his early albums like in the 70s, he was very much a... Uh, piano singer songwriter type um, like almost like a Billy Joel believe it or not and then towards the end of his career he's doing again all this vaudevillian stuff so he has two albums that come out at the same time one called Blood Money and one called Alice I think they're worth listening to just because uh, his voice is iconic and there are a number of really good songs and really interesting production choices on the records tracks like God's Away on Business uh, the title track from the Alice album everything you can think like there's good music here um it's just weird it's mm. very weird uh the black keys i don't know if you guys know the black keys either the black keys are kind of famous because at the time they were really labeled as white stripes ripoffs because they are again a two-piece and they make bluesy garage punk uh sounds fine they don't have that same kind of charisma and carry as the white stripes do but they will be a big band. Um, Decemberists, a band called Decemberists, released Castaway and Cutouts, an indie folk group. They have a unique sound to them, um, and they write all their songs about like old historical stuff. Like their songs are about pirates and gypsies and soldiers and weird weird stuff. 
Okay, kinda, all right. Yeah, yeah, I think they're fun, and they have an, a, an or, like they'll use organ and accordion in their music, mm. so it kind of evokes this era that they're not of. Um, while they tell these really interesting narratives, of, like you know, one song is literally just about a prostitute. You know, one song is about a soldier conscripted to war. They're all fun. They're all really interesting. If you wanted some tracks to listen to, I would say uh, I Dreamt I Was an Architect, July July, and Legionnaire's Lament are really good songs. I, as I listened to this album, I remembered how much I listened to it back in the day because I remember like every fucking song on it when I was listening through it. I was like, at that time, circa probably 2004, I was really into this album. Doesn't hold up. It's not that great, but it's really, really fun. And I think it's a cool record. You guys heard of OAR? Nope. OAR is kind of like they, they sort of carry the torch that Dave Matthews band like okay. the success of Dave Matthews almost leads into these guys and this is a double and this is like mind you on CD this is a double CD that they made so there's probably over two hours worth of music here oh my god um, and it's a live recording too but it sort of captures this early part of their career as a band their first three albums um Again, it's very jam bandy, but it's got that Dave Matthews thing, and it's also kind of got a little bit of like white boy reggae in there. Oh, and on, on, probably the biggest single biggest thing is that it's a lot like um, like Jimmy Buffett's sort of portrayal of himself as like this Gulf Coast pirate. You know, like he all of his songs are about the fucking Florida and about the Gulf Coast. <laughs> like I've been listening to a lot of Jimmy Buffett for whatever reason lately because his music is interesting in its own way. And so much of the stuff OAR sings about just reminds me of what Jimmy Buffett likes to write about. So, Hmm. it's whatever. Okay, and then here's a really fucking big record we should talk about. Moving on to hip-hop, Eminem's The Eminem Show comes out. Again, we were literally just talking about the Marshall Mathers LP. That came out in 2001. That was insane. Would you like this album sold... 27 million copies. I would. I wouldn't believe that. Yes. God. I didn't bring That's this... almost an Animal Crossing. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't bring it up earlier this month when we talked about it. Or, or sorry, earlier this year. I, I do think that would make Eminem feel. Like, I, I, this... I think it'd be fine. It'd be fine it would be it. fine. But still, it's like Animal Crossing beat me. Like, it's just, mm. I think it'd be fine with it. Yeah. I think what he would say is that in the course of 12 months... I released two albums that are going to sell 50 million copies. Mm. And how long did it take for Animal Crossing's New Horizon to come out from New Leaf? Was it New Leaf? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't play any Animal Crossings before that one. Yeah. Pick up the pace is what you would say. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. um, Yeah, so this is an interesting record. It's 27 million. Believe it or not, I should have brought this up when we talked about it. I didn't realize just how well that Nora Jones album sold. But that Nora Jones album is the second highest selling album of the 21st century. I'll get out of here. This is Holy the shit. third. Of all things, of all fucking things, the number one selling album of the 21st century is Adele's 21. Mm. The, the Millennium, if you will. The Millennium, if you will, yes. Uh, believe it or not, Will Smith did not have the best-selling record of the millennium. Give him you'd time. Think, you'd give, think. Give him time. He's still got time. That's <laughs> true. He still has time. It might happen. We don't know. We'll wait till he's in the grave before we make that declaration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's going to make like a, a dual comedy LP with Chris Rock. Yeah, so Eminem oh, is... Uh, yeah. Oh, man. I, I, I actually would love to see that. <laughs> I forget who it was, but I know Chris Rock has done skits for different MCs before. Oh, yeah? So he's been on hip-hop albums before. I should forget who any rate, uh, what, so what is this album? He's, he's, he's at it again, would you believe it? Our boy M is uh, 
taken over the airwaves. And yeah, he's very much a uh, cultural icon at this point. Mm. He's about the biggest name in music you could imagine outside of maybe like, I don't know, Britney Spears. Like there's really a handful of people that could even be considered what he is. And he's a provocateur. He's very controversial. You know, he, uh, every bit the talented MC. Um, he's probably, I think we people look back on it now and probably would just label him the greatest MC in all of hip hop. He is. He's one of the best writers. Uh, his, his delivery and the way that he constructs rhymes is just so, so impressive. Uh, you, you could just listen to him and then all of these tracks really do have that wonderful moment. Um, it's, it's again, it's like a 70 something minute long. There's skits. It's, it's all of the obnoxious glut that you get from a lot of hip hop rap records. But he consistently brings it with great rhymes on every track. And it had singles like Without Me, Cleaning Out My Closet. Um, I like Business and Square Dance too. Those are fun tracks. Uh, LP releases Fantastic Damage. Uh, if you like Underground Hip Hop, really, really important album. He, uh, on top of owning and running Def Jux, which is a really big record label, he's there. He's got Dell, um, Cannibal Ox, Mr. Lift, Aesop Rock. They're all on this record. Again, if you like Underground Hip Hop, this is a critical listen. You gotta go listen to LP's Fantastic Damage. And Cameron releases Come Home With Me. Uh, it's like, it, he's like an MC from New York and he does the mogul stuff. He sounds a lot like, um, like Jay-Z. I don't know. It was fun, but I was like, whatever. I like uh, Beanie Siegel's on it. I like Beanie Siegel a lot. He's good. All right, uh, moving on though. Moby releases 18. Uh, this is funny because Eminem has one, a line in one of his songs where he's basically shitting on Moby and he's like, you're too old and nobody listens to techno. Moby doesn't even make techno. <laughs> Moby's music is not techno. <laughs> but it's great. It's great that he just dumps on him in the same month. What, what did he have against Moby? <laughs> or we just like pick, some, pick someone. A, Moby, he said Moby's, you're okay. Uh, Moby's a dork. <laughs> I don't really like Moby personally. <laughs> I think he had a lot of big songs. And this album has that We're All Made of Stars, I think, is on this one. I get Moby and Jim Rash confused. Yeah. Oh, that's... Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. They're very uh, tiny little men with bald heads. Yeah, bald, bespectacled men. <laughs> Moving on. We're not even getting into that one. Uh, Moom, M-U-M. Uh, that's a perfect name. Race an album called Finally We Are No One. I saw them. Wait, is it wow. Mom? M U with an apostrophe atop it. So it's oh, with like the little... Oom. Unlot and then an M, so Moom mm. is how you pronounce it. Everybody says Mom, I bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually saw these guys live, and it was a great show. This was I saw in them Cincinnati. Like Twenty. Oh. No, 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 no. We'll talk about a band I actually saw like two months ago, but no, it's not Moom. I saw them uh, at the Plaza Live, um, that controversial, controversial venue that does drag shows. <laughs> Apparently. Oh, do they? <laughs> no, they're, they're, not anymore. They don't. Thanks, Meatball Ron. Yeah, they're the venue that got in trouble with with Ron Zanis. With Meatball. Yeah. Anyway, no. So this album is uh, it's called Finally We Are No One. They're from Iceland. It's a collective. Uh, they they mostly make post rock. The thing that's interesting about this album is apparently that they recorded it in an abandoned or they they didn't record they recorded it in a professional studio. But they wrote all of the songs in an abandoned lighthouse. This band is extremely mm. kitschy. This band is kind of Wes Anderson-y in their kitsch. Uh, but the music is downright beautiful. I think it's really pretty. Um, it's actually good music to sleep to. I'm very, very picky about the kind of music I would try to go to sleep to. And I think this is actually just one of the most soothing and beautiful records. But if it was a Wes Anderson joint, yeah, then the lighthouse wouldn't have been abandoned. It would have been occupied by an old novelist. 
probably who would have strung up Christmas lights around it. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, yeah, yeah. He would have. Yeah, yeah. And the Christmas lights are like powered by a hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> One last album in the electronic ambient category is Murkov's Martez. Uh, minimal Detroit. No, it's not Detroit. Well, no. oh. Minimal techno. Now this is actually techno. If, if Eminem wanted to take a shot at somebody for actually making techno, it would be Murkov. But he doesn't. He is actually unpopular, so he doesn't even get onto Eminem's radar. This album, I love it though. I love it. I love techno, and I love minimal techno especially. It's really clean. It's really pretty. Um, it has these nice, this nice thump to it. These very clean, articulated beats. And on top of it, he's putting like some keys and strings. It's it's very, very pleasant. Very, very nice. And now, guys. This was one of the best months for metal we have ever had. I'll get out of here, boy. I kid you not. There are six albums here, and this is like, this could be in any year six top ten records, mm. six of a top ten list. Like, holy shit. Uh, we'll start off the top probably with what, I've already looked ahead and I saw some top, top metal albums of the years. A lot of people have this album as number one. I think it's a good record. I don't think it's the best ever, but uh, Mastodon releases Remission. This is their debut album. They're from Atlanta, Georgia. They make progressive metal mixed with sludge. Very heavy stuff. Very raw production. Their drummer is a guy named Brand Naylor. And holy shit, he's really, really good. He's a really talented drummer. Love listening to him do his thing. It's produced by Matt Bayless. Matt Bayless, is, uh, he's a really big producer uh, based out of Seattle. He produces this record and then like their next four. He produces albums for a lot of really, really good heavy metal bands. So I will call him out. Oh, and this this is the... And he's on the show tonight. <laughs> oh, you don't know how happy I would be if he came into this room right now. Gosh. Um, no, but uh, so this is the first of their four elements. They have this whole theme of elements. So remission is about fire. Um, and the next one will be about water. And then I believe the one after that is... Wind. Sky and then earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wind. Um, so yeah, yeah, uh, tracks like Crusher Destroyer, Trampled, Under Hoof, Burning Man. Um, it's, it's really, really a good record. I don't think it's the best of the month. I think there's so many good records this month, but not this one. Moving on, uh, Kill Switch and Gaze releases Alive and Breathing, a really, really important watershed album for metalcore. I think this is one of those albums that a lot of people got people into metalcore in the first place. Wa water, watership? Watershed. Watershed. Like, sig uh, significant touchstone moment. Like, okay. the Berlin Wall. Okay. Or the signing of Gettysburg. And the release of Alive and Breathing by Killswitch Engage. <laughs> <laughs> Killswitch Engage kind of makes American metalcore a thing. Um, it's, again, it's a lot of their raw intensity of hardcore punk, but a lot of... Uh, they, they work in a lot of clean, melodic vocals into their stuff, so I think that a lot of people could probably listen to it and, like... Even if they think, like, oh, that's the mean part of the song, but wait, here comes the chorus I can sing to. You know, they're, they're a fun bit. And they go they go pretty hard on this one, too. Some big riffs. I like it. Um, at the time, by the way, your comparisons are, like, Poison the Well and Shadows Fall. And while they made heavier albums, they are nowhere near as, like, just simply listenable as this album is. I think there is a, a mainstream appeal to this that it can't be overlooked. It's really important. It's a... Just it's it's sold really really well. It got people into the scene, so kudos to them. And now for an album that would probably keep people away from the scene, but I think is like the best album of the month. Fucking, are you kidding me? It's Discourge Consume the Forsaken. This is brutal death metal. Like I love metal that is just so extreme and pushes the boundaries. It, I mean, it sounds great for the family. Yeah, Discourge. Oh man. Oh yeah. Consume the Forsaken. 
<laughs> yeah, it's delightful. Uh, yeah, so it's it's uh, they're from San Diego. Good night, Mika. Have a wonderful night. Consume the Forsaken. <laughs> it's the kind of stuff where, like, there's no lead-ins. They don't build you up to anything. They simply just start with the sonic assault the second the album plays. And it doesn't stop. It just goes. It's about 30 minutes long. It's fucking relentless. I think we just named the next two Zelda and Sonic games. Con- Zelda, Consume the Forsaken, <laughs> and Sonic Assault. <laughs> sonic Assault. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Blast Beats... Out the ass, nonstop, just insane, jagged riffs, and then uh, really uh, gross, just filthy vocals, like really guttural, nasty vocals that just don't even sound human. It's uh, overwhelming to listen to, I'm sure, for anyone that doesn't listen to a lot of metal, but if you do, oh my god, they're just going so hard, you really got to appreciate it. And then, like, it's the kind of album where the more you listen to it, the more it'll start to fall into place. It's just, it's it's drinking from a fire hose, but it's all so much all at once that once you kind of know where it's going, you can kind of start to pick apart the little pieces and see where they're doing. All of this really interesting stuff. This isn't just noise for the sake of noise. These guys are clearly precise with what they're doing. Like, they know exactly what they're making. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's such a rewarding listen the more you listen to heavy metal to hear something like this. And again, they're really pushing the boundaries of the art form, and I think that's important. Um, we also have Vomitory. Good. Uh, Vomitory Blood Rapture. Mm-hmm. So this is Swedish death metal, and it's not melodic God. death metal. Every mm-hmm. month we've had Swedish death metal, it's all been melodic death metal, it's all been boring as fuck. But then Vomitory steps up to that. And oh my god, this is great. This is just so They're great. like, hold my bucket. This is, a, this, is a, <laughs> this is a party death metal record. I absolutely love it. Uh, drumming is just frantic as fuck. The riffs are great. Like, the singer's got this really nice growl to him. Um, it's, it's great. It's just so, like, fucking listenable. This is a workout. This and the Vomitory, or the, the Discord record, are both, like, workout albums for me because they clock in at a clean 30 minutes and they just go. There's not, you know, it's it's just absolutely delightful. I think I feel it, like my heart would explode if I worked out to this. <laughs> just <laughs> again, you guys need to listen to these records before we do the podcast, just so you can I can get gauge what your opinion is on some of these. Yeah, I definitely want to listen to Blood Rapture. <laughs> yeah. Again, if Discord is too much, try some Vomitory. Also, <laughs> it's sensing a theme here. <laughs> we just named the podcast. If Discord is too much, try the vomitory. <laughs> well, so, do you know what vomitory is? A vomitory is like a it's a hallway. Essentially, is what it means. It's a fancy way of saying. Sounds grosser than that. It has the word vomit in it, which is I'm guessing why they wanted it to be mm. in the band name. Because they thought it would be edgy and, and cool. And barfnasium is just silly. <laughs> so there's a band called Vomit Forth. Uh-huh. That's going around. There's also vomit. Are, are they like supposed to be vomit force or the lisp? <laughs> that would be funny. No, there's also people vomit witch. Like their vomit's a very common word in the metal. Guys, mm, interesting. They're you know if you keep up, if you guys kept up with the scene. <laughs> you'd know. Yeah. yeah. You'd know. What about us? It makes you think <laughs> that we ever kept up with the metal scene. <laughs> Two more albums and then we're done. Right, high on fire. I don't watch horror movies. What do you think I was going to listen to the angriest music there is? There's a lot to appreciate in it. Uh, high on fire releases Surrounded by Thieves. This is their second. Oh, that's good. That's a great name. I yeah. like that. This is their second album. This is like stoner sludge metal. Um, I really, really like it. They don't make bad albums. All of their albums are consistent. And they release a lot of records. 
Um, again, it's that kind of like stoner haze that you could... There's a reason why these bands are called High on Fire. Everything sounds like it's being recorded in a burning building. Um, or in Detroit. Oh, yeah. In Detroit, in Detroit, <laughs> of course. Uh, I love it. There's a lot of classic rock, rock riffing in it. So it's this one's actually a bit more laid back. These are like mid-tempo tracks, and it's like, again, just real groovy stuff. I think that obviously Discord and Vomitory are challenging records. High on Fire, Fire is like the band that like you can just sort of groove to. And yeah, it's going to be heavy, and there's going to be a guy kind of yelling, but it's not so bad. Also, lastly, a band from Tampa called Floor. Uh, they released another sludge metal album here. I love this record, too. They have this niche little genre that they've dubbed themselves as doom pop. Um, mm. Because of all of the bands that make stoner metal, doom, sludge metal, they actually kind of aspire to make brisk songs that have kind of melodic leads in them. They're still really, really heavy. But there is always this kind of sweet little sugar to their melodies that they have in there that make them a little different than what you would expect. Again, their albums are very warm and light in spite of how heavy they are. Um, yeah, uh, the track on, if anyone wanted to know what, what, what at all I am talking about, listen to the track Scimitar. It is like a minute and 15 seconds and it is like a pitch perfect example of what this band does. And it's got all that stuff you love, big heavy riffs, like huge, huge guitars, really catchy. Just great. Just a really, really good album. And this caps off six amazing metal records in one month. Like, wow, wow, wow. Very cool. All right. Album of the month? Uh, just to be weird. Just to be that... Oh, I, did I skip Punk? I skipped Punk entirely. Can I talk about two more real quick? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Boxcar Racer. Boxcar Racer releases the self-titled record. Do you know who that is? No, I don't know them. It is a side project from Tom DeLonge and Travis Barker. Okay. And this is actually kind of, in a way, it's not directly the reason why Blink broke up, but it's a re it's it's part of it uh, because at the time, you know, because Mark Hoppus is the third member of Blink One Eighty Two, and at the time uh, he was complaining, um, or excuse me, Tom DeLonge was complaining that he wasn't making quote unquote mature enough music. Mm. So he and for whatever reason, Travis Barker agrees to do this to creates another band with him called Boxcar Racer. And they release an album that essentially just sounds like Blink-182, just without the dick-and-fart jokes. It's a little more serious, I guess, but the music is really no different than what you would have expected from a Blink record. It creates all of this friction, and a few years down the road from now, the band's going to break up. So, kind of... But they're back together now. Yeah, oh yeah, they're back together. I mean, so, the, so there's a whole weird history of this band where Matt Skiba, the guitarist from Alkaline Trio, steps in hmm. for, like four years to play with Blink-182 as well. So, And he was the only one who wore clothes. It was weird. Yeah. Kind of strange decision, but you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> oh, and lastly, because you, you mentioned that's why I forgot to bring it up, City of Caterpillar. Oh, yeah. Um, that album came out. It's a, it's a self-titled a debut record. This would be the band's only record for 20 years. Oh, shit. They make this okay. one record, and they literally just now this year put out a new full length. I, I saw them live in March. Jeez. All right. At, yeah, Will's Pub here in Orlando. And it was really fun to see them. This is not a huge band by any stretch of the imagination, but... Yeah, um, kind of like a screamo... Yeah. Uh, ...rock band. Um, Mixing in a little bit of post-rock stuff. I'm sure you noticed most of the songs are pretty long. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of yeah, eight-plus-a-minute yeah. long songs. Well, it was... Um, a lot of the, the only way I found... I didn't listen to this on Spotify or anything, because I had it playing at work, so I just had like a, 
uh, a YouTube video pulled up and it had the, the full album, but they, nice. I could not find anyone who just like chopped it up into tracks. It was like, no, here's just the full album. Mm-hmm. Usually I'll try to find a playlist so I can keep track of what, what songs are what. So um, I listened to it a couple times through, but it's only it's been a couple weeks, so I can't think of any standout tracks. But I do remember like the first time listening to listening to it through. The first track starts with like this really like discordant melody, and as I'm, I'm listening to, like the first minute of that, I was like, I'm gonna hate this, aren't I? And then it just becomes like a more like uh, what, what you typically think of like as a, a screamo rock album. Yeah. So it, it wasn't uh, nearly as unpleasant as I thought it might have been when the when it was starting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If you wanted to track like a heart-filled reaction to dissatisfaction is like their big single from this one, and it's also like a shorter song. It's like two or three minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like there's, it's not even that long of a record. It's just that three of the tracks clock in at at least eight eight minutes. Jeez. And it's a seven track album, so uh, I'm not, I, I dig them. Again, they're they're kind of off the radar. They're not a huge band, but mm-hmm. I think it's worth a mention. Cool. Oh, that's that's it. That's our music. Oh, album gosh. of the month. Consume the Forsaken Disgorge. Got there we go. go. I mean, I should go with Eminem sold 27 million copies, but nah. No, nope. second place. Let's live a little. He gets runner-up. Yeah. All right, very Ooh, good. Movies? Do we dare move into movies? Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. We're going to talk about some movies. Um, I don't have the list in our notes. Do you have the list handy? I have the list, but I only have... I didn't go as in-depth as I did last month. I've got two, four, six. Seven films. Okay, uh, there I think I'm sure plenty more that I didn't write down. There, there were a, a number that I saw as well. I'm gonna pull up the list just so I have a, a place of reference here. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a quick break. Okay, now we're ready. Now we got the whole list compiled. That we do. Yay, we did it. All right, take us through. Okay, well, let's start off the like right off the bat here with Spider-Man. Hell yeah! The Sam Raimi feature, the director of the Evil Dead series, Hot Quick off the and heels. the Dead, a Simple Plan, The Gift. Hot off the heels of uh, the X Men movie, which we talked about not too long ago. Yeah, I think that the X Men movie is is the first and a, a crucial establishing mm. um, superhero films again. After, the, if you think about it, like Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin was probably the last taste anyone had of a superhero movie, mm-hmm. which was rough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we Blade Two, sure, but Blade Two doesn't count. But at any rate, um, like the the, yeah. the costume superhero movies, you know, like the the ones where you have people running around in spandex and such. But like the, the thing that we we talked a lot about in the the Exo movie, one of the, the points we really hammered home was just how briskly it moved. They did not waste any screen time. Each scene was pulling you directly into the next, and there wasn't any wasted time. Very crisp, doing. very deliberately made. Yeah, and I, I feel the same way about the Spider Man movie. Is it moves so briskly, especially compared to a lot of like, uh, superhero. Spectacle movies now, um, and it, it is a it is an origin story which we've seen multiple times now. But it doesn't. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. It just it, rewatching it does it doesn't feel like as labored as uh, watching some of the other Spider-Man origin movies that we've had to see because we've to see like hitting the same plot points over and over again. Um, this, and yet, this is a very confident film. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually really um, like for starters. I'm going to gush about this as we talk about it. I love this movie. This is a fucking amazing film like uh, Tobey Maguire has to carry it of course he's the, the title character he's going to be in most of the scenes but he really does so much heavy lifting in this movie and he kind of yeah he kind of captures the, the kind of um, vulnerable charm that you would expect from Peter Parker mm. he maybe isn't the kind of quippy wise talking one that we come become accustomed to 
recently, but I think he really does nail the downtrodden nerd yeah. guy very, very well with his performance. For sure. Also, Kirsten Dunst is just like perfect. Really, really. Again, I wrote I wrote in my notes here like this movie is so well cast. Mm-hmm. Not that it's star studded, but just that everyone in it feels perfect for the character they're portraying. Yeah. So like, she makes a fantastic Mary Jane. I think James Franco gives a great performance. Willem Dafoe is a scene stealer. Fucking J.K. Simmons. You didn't realize it, but this was like the perfect casting. Oh, for sure. How he nails that character is just so delightful. Um, you know, even even smaller characters like Ted Rainey, the brother of Sam Rainey, gets to be his fun little assistant guy. Um, Academy Award winning actress Octavia Spencer is in this movie. Do you remember that scene? She's the one that's like... The one that tells him like that he's got to sign a waiver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, and even yeah, to, she, to to do the wrestling thing where we yeah. see Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell is on my list. Joe Magliano is uh, uh, what's his name? Not Sparky. What the fuck is the guy's name? The bully. Oh sure, Flash. Flash, Flash. Thompson. Thank you. Um, and then yeah, you know, and then the Randy Man Macho Savage is up there too. <laughs> the Bone Saw McGraw. Like, you know, some of the, some of the, he's amazing in it. It's delightful. Some of the jokes, you know, uh, might not be as as acceptable as uh, they were back then. Like, oh, nice outfit. Does your hud? Does your husband? I can't even say it. I can't even get it outright. It feels wrong to say now. Did your husband make it for you? <laughs> that is so great. <laughs> oh, that was my other thing I was going to say about it. Is that this movie is just a series of amazing scenes. Mm-hmm. Like all of the scenes land so nice, and it's it's so efficient. Yeah. Like, the lunchroom fight scene was great. Um, but no- Norman's transformation, all of those scenes mm. involving Willem Dafoe are just delightful. The wrestling match. He's so good at being unhinged. Oh, yeah. Um, any scene with Jameson. Uh-huh. Jameson is just fantastic on screen. I love it. And I even like the part where uh, Go- Goblin busts in on him, and he refuses to give away Peter Parker's identity. Mm. Like, that was a very noble thing for him to have done right there. I understand in the moment, like, you know, he probably would have just been like, oh, it's that guy, leave me alone. But it's like, no, he actually does kind of the honorable thing. For as much as he hates Spider-Man, he defends Spider-Man right then and there. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, the whole it's not its print, it's libel moment is, is just, just great. Um, oh, gosh, yeah, like, again, the, the break, the moment of breaking, like, when you see... Uh, Willem Dafoe in the boardroom when he's like you know how much I've sacrificed mm. like that that face that he gives is just oh delightful the upside down kiss iconic film kiss uh, the cable car rescue scene with MJ like the that that what a great way to leave a film well okay it's a great way to leave a film and then really poorly chase it but that last thing where you see him flying through the city where it's like Spider-Man just finally gets to have fun and then you're just following along with him as he's ripping through like downtown New York City is great and then directed by Sam Raimi comes up to Nickelback. <laughs> this is like a 99 out of 100 movie. And then the minus <laughs> one is because of... What song was it? I can't even remember what song they were doing. I don't even remember. I just was so upset with Nickelback. It was the thing. Yeah. But, uh, it's like... What a dumb choice. That was entirely great, but now i got to leave the theaters with this I, I, wonder, like, I wonder if like uh, Sony... Well, somehow prodded that in there. Like, does Nickelback record for a studio that's owned by Sony? I don't know. Maybe. That's my conspiracy theory. I don't know, but I love this movie. Mm. I love this movie it's so much. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about Spider-Man? I just ranted a bunch. Like, you guys have any thoughts on it? No, no, big thumbs up. I think you pretty much hit it. I mean, yeah. yeah. All right, you want to move on then? 
Uh, oh wait, no, we, we gotta we guess. We gotta do our numbers. What, what was the budget? The movie like this oh costume? God! Do you wanna go first or should I? You, you go first on this. Um, it was a, it's definitely a big budget movie. I just don't know how big budget I'm going to go. I will say eighty million. Eighty million. Eight zero. Eighty. I'm gonna go sixty-five. Ooh, I got quite a bit more. This cost one hundred and thirty-nine million. Ooh. And probably a lot of marketing on this one too. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't know, sure, I don't know sure, what sure. movies cost. They're cheap, right? Yeah, it costs a couple bucks. How do you think it did in the theater? Really well. Really well. Really well. Mm-hmm. Wes, this movie made $800 million. Oh, there's no way it made that much. <laughs> Prove me wrong. <laughs> I was going to go three. 300? Yeah. 300? 825. Fucking Fuck A. $825 million. Oh. That is absurd. Oh, my God. I mean, this movie was great. Everyone yeah. loved it. Bad ass game. All right, okay. I'm just gonna go, guys. I'll see you later. <laughs> I'm tapping out. Just... There's no prize. We don't even keep score. That's true. Um, okay, so the next one I have is Unfaithful. Um, this was directed oh, by yeah. Adrian Lin, um, who also directed Fatal Attraction and Decent Proposal, and Jacob's Ladder. I actually think all three of those are great movies. I actually um, don't know this one. The premise, Richard Gere, I know is in it, and I don't recall who else is in the cast, but as I understand the general premise is that uh, it's a murder, a murder happens when Richard Gere kills a man that was like sleeping with his wife or something, and hmm. the two of them are trying to cover up the murder. Okay. Is that, have you seen Him this and his wife? No, I don't know this. Yeah, again, I, I don't I don't know the full plot of it, but I, I, this is all common shit, like Fatal Attraction or Indecent Proposals. Jacob's Ladder's a weird one for from this director's canon, but... Um, oh, and his, his maybe his best movie. I love Jacob's Ladder, but he very much makes these like adultery crime thriller movies. Mm. I guess is what you would call them. Um, but yeah, I, as I understand, like that's the whole thing about the movie. I'll go ahead and spoil it because I do remember how it ends. It ends as they're driving away, where they basically think they've gotten away with it. Where the wife is like sort of talking about how their life is going to be now that they're past all of this and is talking about what they're going to do and then the final shot is him pulling in front of the police station oh. to turn the two of them in hmm. so it's one of those like I don't know I guess he gets that she's completely snapped and that this has to end hmm. so I don't know uh, probably a good movie like I don't know I didn't I didn't watch it Neither so did I. Do I know. Yeah. what do you think a movie like that costs to make what was uh, that ending I'm, worth? Am I going first this time? <laughs> I, I went first. You went first okay, last you, time. You go first then. I, I don't even know what movie. Twenty. Twenty million. I'll go. Oh jeez. I'll go higher. Twenty-five. Twenty-five. Fifty. Okay. Fifty. Expensive. What do you think it made in the box office? Did it make its money back? Fifty-five. <laughs> Ooh, just barely made. <laughs> Richard Gere barely made it back. Big draw. Oh, oh yeah, Richard Gere. Okay, okay. You got oh, gentleman, Runaway Bride. Uh, First night. I don't know. We'll go eighty. I don't know. Eighty. Eighty million. I'm gonna go lower. I'll go seventy. Uh, hundred hundred and nineteen. Ooh. Ooh, did pretty good. All right. So here, this is one I'm gonna need you to take the reins on. Yeah. Let's go with Deuces. Wallet. Oh my God, this movie. This is like a, a, a if a student was trying to make a Scorsese film. Uh, what? what this movie is ripe for a riff track sort of mystery science theater three thousand take on it. It is just so so dumb. Uh, general premise. I'm not gonna go general through the premise. I'm not going to go through the entire plot. Oh, the director, by the way, for what it's worth, Scott Calvert. This is his second and only film, uh, also having directed Basketball Diaries. Okay. Oh, interesting. Um, so, a uh, movie opens up with uh, uh, 
I, th I think he's our main character. I don't know. Everyone looks alike in this movie. Everyone's like a, a generic blonde white guy. Also James Franco for some reason. Another movie that he's in this month. Uh, but he's like a minor role. Minor role. He doesn't matter in this movie. Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon too. And also the girl from American History X. This movie has a weird cast. So uh, our hero carrying in his arms down the street his brother who has overdosed and they call it junk. I assume they mean drugs but they use junk in, term, in, in exchange of drugs throughout the entire movie. I don't know why. Um carrying him down the street in the rain. No, somebody help him. He's he's overdosed. Call a hospital. No one's helping. Everyone's just watching him do this. Mom comes out. She's crying. Little brother comes out, or older brother. I don't know. Everyone's age is indeterminable on this. It <laughs> uh, comes out like, oh, how could you have gotten him drugs again? What have you done? And then they decide to form a gang. And the gang is like just on their block. And then they're like working in in like alliance with an Italian mob to protect their neighborhood because they don't want more drugs to come onto their block. Okay, I was wondering why all of these Sopranos people are in it, and I guess this is why because they're all part of the Italian right. crime syndicate. Right, and that's all Italians do. And there's this sort of weird territorialism in the movie, like, hey, you're a stranger, so we're gonna beat you up because we don't recognize you. And like, hey, you're going to open up a store here, but we think you're going to sell drugs, so we're going to beat you up. And like, no, I can't cross to that side of the street because that's the other gang's territory. And it really is just like a line in the middle of the street. Um, it's this really like amateurish take on a sort of uh, uh, inner city gangster, like in the, the, the mid 20th century lifestyle. Like this, this director saw Mean Streets once and thought he could do it too. It is, it, it is hokey, the dialogue is stilted, and you're never quite sure what the stakes are. Like what is it that our heroes of the movie actually want to accomplish other than beat up a deaf kid because he's not answering on you and you're shouting at him a thing that happens in the movie and they're, they're supposed to be rooting for these people it's a train wreck it's real bad when I look at this still image what it reminds me of is um, Grumblefish by hmm. Francis Ford Coppola I think it, it looks like it's doing the same thing where it's like this is a period piece, I'm guessing, right? This is supposed yes. to be like in the 50s or yeah, something? Yeah, 1950s. Yeah, it's, it's very much like a bunch of, uh, you know, a pretty boy, white boys of this era being slung together yep. in a cast, including the handsomest of all men, of course, Frankie Muniz. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie Muniz. And Frankie Muniz, it's so wild because... Uh, the, the camera follows him in the first like 20 minutes of the movie I'd say Frankie Muniz probably has two or three minutes of screen time doesn't say a fucking word not one line of dialogue doesn't need to <laughs> uh, he does have that Frankie Muniz charm right I'd follow him around a racetrack anytime but it was funny I was like this is a great cast aside from the leads right aside was, like, from the Steven people you have Dorf to and Brad Renfro are you two big guys and then Farouza Balk, uh, she's, she's good. But yeah, 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 Vincent Pastore, Frankie Muniz, Balthazar Getty, Matt Dillon, Norman Reedus, uh, mm -hmm. Louis Lombardi. Norman uh, Reedus, fresh off of Boondock Saints. Yeah. Another film with James Franco. <laughs> right. And Johnny Knoxville is in it, apparently. That's fun. Yeah. The, this. What a weird movie. It's so dumb. Uh, and their, their, their gang name, their, their gang of the block, they're called The Deuces. 
It's a name they chose for themselves. They picked the name. Oh my god. The rival gang's called the Floaters. Three <laughs> percent anyway, on Rotten Tomatoes. They deserves every single one of those. What do you think this movie costs to make? Oh, god, it, it, it only it cost anything. I think I'm going first this time. I will say eight million bucks. Okay. Uh, we'll go twelve. You guys split the uprights on that. It is exactly to the penny $10 million. Mm, we, we did, did it. it. Yeah, there you go. Um, I wonder if the mic picked that up. It certainly did. <laughs> 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 um, what do you think it made in the theaters? If there's any justice, it didn't make a penny more than $2 million. I will say $2 million. I'll go 20 I'll be optimistic. Uh, 6.3. All right. So, yeah, Good. That's not great. Good. Um, let's, let's and that director never worked again. Yeah, yeah, he's a music video director. So okay. he made Basketball Diaries, which I think, if I remember correctly, said '95, mm. and then he makes this movie seven years later because I don't know, maybe he just needs drug money. <laughs> <laughs> so he makes a movie that's very anti-drugs. Yeah. What, what did he call it? Smack. What was the drug? Junk. Movie? Junk. Yeah, fucking junk. Uh. And there's a movie you said. If I heard you right, you said Believer. Yes. Came out. Yes. This, this is, uh, we were literally just talking about Ryan Gosling mm-hmm. because of uh, a couple months ago because of a film he had made. Oh, which one? Was it The Notebook? I don't think, I don't think that was too no, later. No, no, no. It couldn't have been The Notebook. It was like a crime movie. Murder by Numbers. He was, was he? in that Murder by Numbers okay. with Michael Pitt. Mm. Oh, Remember sure, the two sure, guys? Sure. Yeah, yeah. It was a Sandra Bullock vehicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, have you seen Believer? Yes. Yeah, I was just watching it uh, last night. Um, and I'd seen it before years and years ago mm-hmm. and it, it's um very much an independent film project i don't even know if this movie is available in high definition because i was streaming it in standard definition so i don't think that ever got any wow. sort of yeah 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 that's mm-hmm. the the sort of movie we're dealing with here it's also done pan and scan they intentionally <laughs> filmed it with pan and scan <laughs> that was in super eight um so <laughs> ryan gosling is this uh, neo-Nazi who is also uh, ethnically Jewish. So it, it, it's um. We're talking about the movie. <laughs> in in the movie, it, it's a, it's a autobiographical. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, very much like uh, Stephen Miller, for example. Mm. Uh, you know, noted advisor to the president, Stephen Miller. Noted person who helped run the country. Yeah, uh, this fair. country. Horrifying. Yeah, a, a Jewish Nazi. But like, uh, very very much, I uh, becomes very quickly involved in uh, neo fascist movements in the United States. Uh, and it's supposed to be a contemporary film, much like American History X. Um, and this movie takes a lot of cues from American History X in the way that it gives the, the lead character, Ryan Gosling, these these long monologues, these diatribes to go on about uh, how, how much he hates uh, Jewish people and really like this own deep sense of self-loathing. And really the, the movie is about that deep sense of, of self-loathing. And I think like if the movie fails at something, it fails at like explaining or showing why that it is that he hates himself or what is it really that's bringing him out of it because that's the the journey you're watching him on is him going from a person who very explicitly is like uh, getting weapons and materials to go and commit murders of people specifically because they are Jewish and him trying to to reconcile that with his own uh, ethnic Jewish uh, uh, genetics is who who he is Mm -hmm. Um, and coming to to try to accept that part of himself um 
and it's really interesting. Like Ryan Gosling is really good in this. Like there are a couple of monologues that he goes on where he's just like unhinged and just like erupts with this rage. I am not quite sure I've seen Ryan Gosling quite like that, except in like maybe Drive. But in Drive, he's a, he's very stoic most of the time. Yeah, and um, then he has these little outbursts. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's not easy to watch because mm-hmm. they do go on these very uh, Nazi rants where it talks about like uh, how how inhuman Jewish people are uh, and there's be because like Ryan Gosling is like the protagonist who's you're following and he's friends with a bunch of Nazis there's no one there like countering his arguments so it is you know it's not, it's not easy but uh, it's, it's really interesting I think that there's there's a lot of ways in which Ryan Gosling is fascinatingly not Jewish hmm. so get this because the Jewish they are what simultaneously what is it a a race religion and like a culture I forget how they phrase it but it's like the one uniform monolithic thing that is to be Jewish is to be entirely Jewish Mm. and in no way is he Jewish (laughs) he is from Ontario Canada (laughs) he is Canadian Uh, his uh, apparently his what is it his mother is French Canadian so she's French uh, his dad is all of these things, none of which is Jewish. German, English, Scottish, and Irish. German. German again. <laughs> well, <laughs> he's German he's three German. times. And he's a member of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. He's, he's a Mormon? Mormon. Holy shit. <laughs> yes. I had no idea. In every right. way, this guy has nothing to do with the Jewish faith. I, I, I'm sure, like... Um, Aren't there actual Jewish actors that they could have got? Yeah, probably. And I'm sure, like, oh uh, they, there are a lot of people, like Ryan Gosling is probably especially happy this movie is mostly forgotten and nobody is is aware but you know I think he should be reminded (laughs) man yeah yeah Um, I I, I had no idea I had no idea he was not Jewish yeah I had no idea what his background was you'd be be Canadian and Jewish he's more Irish he's he's an Irish Mormon (laughs) as opposed to a Jewish Jew playing a Jewish Nazi (laughs) yeah Okay, what do you think the budget of this this thing was? Oh, I, I think I'm first this time. Yeah. Or are you first? I can't even guess. Uh, six million. I'm going to go lower. I'll go two million. Oh, two million is closer. 1.5. Mm. What did it make? It's a cheap movie. Not much, but I think it did do... Uh, I probably made its money back. Hmm. I'll go like... Five. I was going to go four. I'll go four. 1.3. Oh no! Oh, this did not turn a profit. Did not make its money. Oh wow! Yeah, it turns out people don't want to watch uh, Ryan Gosling do these sort of things. They want to see him portray Ken. Yeah, in the new Barbie movie, as he is. There you go. But a very like self-hating Ken. Yeah, one that sort of struggles to find his place. Yeah, and misses his testicles. Yeah, certainly. Don't they all? <laughs> they implies he had them in the first place and then lost them. I'm not getting into the Barbie lore. <laughs> Oh, there's lore. Well, let's sure. get it. Let's get into a series with potentially worse lore. Hell yeah! Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Ooh, oh boy. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty painful. There, there are exactly four movies that I've left the theater for. This is one of them. Oh, wow. I and I, I have seen this movie in its entirety now. I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie. No. John walked out of all three of the prequels, which <laughs> yep. I don't know why you kept going. <laughs> I think it was more like a cultural thing. Like, okay, the new Star Wars is out and. 
We'll go see it. I walked out of the most recent Matrix movie only because there was a projector error, and I feel like I had seen enough of the movie that I was like, I don't really want to see any more of this. Mm. I think I've seen enough, and it was only like 20 minutes left, and the guy was giving me a free ticket, and I'm just like, okay, I'll go see something else. All right. Anyway, that's beside the point. We're talking about fucking... Attack of the Clones. Yeah, so this is obviously a, it's a sequel to... Uh, uh, what was the Phantom Menace? Phantom Menace, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah they came out a few years prior. Every single time I hear that, I just think Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yeah. Okay, because you know Phantom. It was a musical. Yeah. So again, everything that was kind of wrong about the first one, it continues to be wrong with this. I think if anything, they just cranked up the volume uh, quite a bit with this. Uh, it's I think two hours and forty five minutes, which is way way too long, way yeah. too long of a runtime for what this movie's trying I to do. I don't really know what was going on in this movie. Like, so who this, are they fighting? Like, this I don't is even, the one. It I begins mean, with an assassination attempt. Right, um, they're trying to kill the robot. Yeah, the robot with asthma. Yeah, the um, asthma robot. Wait, what? Well, he's a cyborg. Oh, is he a cyborg? Yeah, he's a cyborg. I thought he was just a robot. Yeah. But he's like the robot with the four arms and the, the four lightsabers. Is that is that this and they one? they spin around. Grievous? That's, yeah, that's Grievous. Good. General Grievous. Is he even in this? I think, yeah, he's in this one. But yeah, they chase him down. That's the very end of the movie. That's, I, I thought that was the beginning. I don't think so, no. I think they bring him up. Or is it the beginning of the third one? I think you guys might it might be. Compl- I literally just watched this movie. And I don't this remember one, it. This one, Chris, <laughs> this one has Christopher Lee. This is the one. Yeah, Christopher Lee is in it. He's Dooku. Um, it's it starts the the beginning of the film starts with an assassination attempt on Amidala as she's trying to go to the Senate to give some fucking speech that no one cares about, mm. um, and then it's decided within them that they want to consolidate power amongst uh, the guy who ultimately becomes the emperor. Mm-hmm. It's by what Palpatine. The same actor. Oh, fucking, he's amazing. Um, but yeah, he ends up basically consolidating power among him. At the same time, he's been creating this clone army that are all built upon the dad of Boba Fett, Jango Fett. So there's this whole human army that at the same time, another group is building the this group that's against the Jedi, the Sith Lords. Which I think is also wrong. I think Boba Fett is also a clone of Jango Fett. Yeah, Sure. I believe you. Whatever. I think so. I could be wrong. I don't know. Oh. Yeah, actually, oh, actually, one of the three million. Oh, whatever. I don't know. Uh, but then the other side is the clone army that that's being built, um, and like it's 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 all fairly stupid. Largely, what you're watching is, um, uh, you know, Obi Wan dick around, and then the most contrived, shitty, awkward, cringy, Anakin Amidala romancing. That mm. happens. It's really uncomfortable. What is the age difference of those characters? About oh, ten years. Okay, I guess that's not that. I mean, depending. She's on She's ten years his senior, and like, yeah, she wasn't macking on him when she was when he was like six. Yeah, I always thought that was weird because I mean, like, and they hadn't but, seen but each now, other but now since. since. So, well, well, let's let's play with the math because we're going to be creeps right now. If if she's ten years older than him, uh, he's six, she's sixteen. Gross. They don't uh, have anything to do with each other. Good. Now he's 19 and she's now, 29. 19, 29. Um, you know, two consenting adults, technically adults at that point. Sure. But... These aren't like us adults, though. This guy is supposed to be like a Padawan. He's supposed to be trained to I be mean, a Jedi Knight. And she has basically been a... Head of state? Yeah. I mean, my sister is 10 years younger than her husband. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't well, know. That's like, fucked up because he's not a Jedi. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> well, she's younger than him. Oh, you're you're at like is she a queen? <laughs> she's not head of state or anything. No, I, mean, <laughs> we, we, I, I really should like take this out of like the realm of reality because they're they're wizards in space. But like, uh, 
you're at like a wildly different point in your life at 19 than you are at 29. Like at 29, you should have your fucking shit together. I and mean, at 19, you can still be a bit of a fuck up. The woman that pretends to be her, so like if someone tries to kill her, she doesn't actually die, literally just died. Mm. She's probably uh, a very emotional state and is probably just happy to like see someone who's familiar and thinks maybe this guy could protect me. He's going to take advantage of that vulnerability. I see what you're going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, and, and she's, she's smitten with him. She likes him. I mean, like, whatever. How do you pick up girls? <laughs> I don't have to anymore. No, that's true. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, but we should bring up that it's Hayden Christensen plays the 19 year old Anakin. He's obviously not in the first one. Like, right. So this is, he is sort of the brand new introduction to the series at this one. And frankly, I think he kind of takes the fall for a lot of the faults of this movie. I think mm. people remember him as being awful, and he is awful. But honestly, aside from a couple of people I will mention by name, everyone is universally bad in this movie. Everything feels so stilted. It's all shot on green screens. Actors look like they're delivering lines off of cue cards. I think that they don't know what the entire scope of the film is going to be. I think that they're changing scripts all the time. And no one knows who they're talking to and why they're saying what they're saying. They're just reciting lines. And he gets the worst of anybody because he's the one that's actually expected to have some range who's expected to kind of show this sort of naivety of youth, but also this uh, crippling rage that will make him do a lot of horrible things. Hard for him to be given such a big thing and to, one, be such an average actor doing so poorly. So you can't really say he's the whole problem with this thing. There's a million problems, and I think it's a convoluted and stupid plot is your biggest problem. He has zero chemistry zero chemistry with uh, with Amidala. Uh, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman, thank you. And even she kind of sucks in this too. She's just so fucking wooden and stupid. Like, uh, honestly, like, I remembered, I when I went back to watch it, I was like, well, at least I'll get to see Ewan McGregor's performance. Honestly, he's not very good either. He's, people are way misremembering mis- his performance in this because he's not good. Who is good? Frank Oz, because all he has to do is provide his voice and he does that so well. And Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee really brings it in this movie. He is a fantastic villain as Dooku. Um, you can tell he's made shitty movies since the 60s, and he knows how to do this so, so well. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. I got this. He's like, I've been in so many bad Hammer productions. Get ready for just me to overact. Like <laughs> Someone just hands in the script. Oh, okay, we're doing this again. Got it. He's like, oh, there's lights oh, here. This oh, is going to be fantastic. <laughs> I, I know what this is. Well, but back to, to what you were saying about like, being convoluted and stupid. The plot of this movie plays out like a video game plot which you know when you're playing yeah. a video game you're having fun stuff to do in between like these really uh, artificial plot points like who cares but it, it's very much of like okay now we gotta go here and do this thing okay now we gotta go here and do this thing and it's like this laundry list of tasks that have to be done uh, in order to reach a, a resolution and I think like something that uh, that they that gets lost in uh, the these prequel movies is that in the original trilogy, the plot was always very simple. And it's like, okay, then what what sort of obstacles are they going to have to overcome in order to get to this one thing? In the first movie, how are we going to get out of this space station? Uh, In the second movie, like, oh shit, there's this guy chasing us. How are we going to get away? And in the third movie, let's go blow the thing up again. Yeah, at any given point, there's about six meaningful characters Mm -hmm. that you really only have to follow along, and you know their alignments, they're all doing good and evil. Doing a thing. Yeah, there's no mystery to unfold, really. I mean, with this movie, again, it gets 
caught up in all of this stuff that you really don't care about. And I think that's actually probably the way this film works best is, you know, I didn't say it already, but like the special effects, believe it or not, hold up really, really mm. well. I think this movie looks great, honestly, for as much as it's aged. Clearly, there's better special effects now, but this is like top notch. Like, this looks great. Um, and I think that last hour when you get to finally turn your mind off and just watch a bunch of action scenes, that's when the film is kind of better. Like, the whole Yoda, lo like the Yoda lightsaber sequence at the end is just so comical, though. Like, you would think it would be really cool to see him with the lightsaber, and then you watch it in action, and he just looks like Sonic the Hedgehog mm. going out there with the lightsaber. It, it's Spinning just, around and flipping and stuff. It's yeah. weird. But again, like, that's also simultaneously some of the best character-on-character -character action is when you hear Christopher Lee and Frank Oz kind of butt heads and stuff. Like, that's, that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, all in all, this is a big bloated mess of a film. We didn't even mention the director. It's George Lucas, the guy that made American Graffiti. Oh yeah, <laughs> THX eleven thirty eight. Famous science know, fiction film. We're we're, we're gonna. Oh, <laughs> one, one last little tangent to go on. Like, the, so tell me whatever you want. We, we, I'm I'm done. I think I've said everything. I think we can sure. all agree that for some reason, like Jedi and people that use the Force are using their telekinesis poorly. Hmm. All they're using it for is like for throwing things, and never like, oh, that thing in your hand. I just made it shatter into two million pieces, because telekinesis. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. They're just like throwing boxes around. Like, all right, cool, but use a little bit more imagination, space wizard. It's <laughs> a good point. They have this power, and yet they failed it. Yeah, and, I can you know, choke you and move this thing over there. Yeah, and just like their charisma power, where they can manipulate people. Like, oh you, yeah, you see him use it once, mm. and it's the dumbest excuse to use it. You know, it's like this guy's selling quote unquote death sticks. Like, yeah, well, way, to, way to name your drug. That's worse than calling it... Junk. Junk. <laughs> Get over here, I'm selling my junk. You want some junk? <laughs> no, um, it, it, they, they have these superpowers they can do pretty much anything, and you always see them doing the same mundane things over and over again. One can literally, like, produce the lightning. Yeah. How wild is that? It's wild. Very wild. But those are the bad guys. What did this movie cost? What did this movie oh, cost? Oh, God. Do you think it costs more or less than Spider-Man clocking in at $139 million? I think it costs... Am I going first? Or am you? I have no idea. I'll go first. Okay. Um, I think it costs more than Spider-Man. I think this movie is expensive. I'll go $160 million. I was going to go 150 115 Ooh, Very oh, economical. Wow. wow. That's still expensive. Well, it's all green screen. And they weren't paying for acting skills. <laughs> no. <laughs> Gosh, they No sure classes were. for anyone. Listen, we're just doing this, all right? How do you think it did in the theaters? Really well. Oh, really well. I think I'm going to go lower than Spider-Man, though. Okay. I will say $600 million. That's tough. I'll, I'll go five. Five. $5. Uh, $653 million. Yep. So well done. That we would be like, wow, six hundred and fifty-three. If not for the fact that we just brought up that Spider-Man made eight hundred and twenty-five. Right. Like, wow. That was right. that was some big money. That's There's some big money. Big space opera with all these battles and stuff, beat by Tobey Maguire and Spandex. Yeah. Oh, and at this point, you have to know after walking out of the theaters there that one was not a fluke. This mm. is going to be a shitty trilogy. Mm. That there is no. <laughs> There's still one more to go. Yeah. That they're they're not stopping. They're not going to be able to fix any of this. Mm. Next movie I have is About a Boy, which is directed by Paul and Chris Wentz, or Whites. It's about did, a young girl. <laughs> who, did, who did American Pie and In Good Company. Oh, interesting. So About a Boy is, um, I know that 
Hugh Grant's in it or yeah. something, and it's like a, it's supposed to be a rom. It's like a standard issue Hugh Grant rom com. I don't know much. It's like it. befuddled and stuff. Probably, I would assume. Mm. I know the soundtrack is done by a uh, uh, artist named Badly Drawn Boy, um, which we're not going to go into that. We already talked about music. Yeah, yeah, we don't need to talk about that. Do we dare? Do we care about numbers? No, we don't numbers care. Are. Cost thirty million and it made one hundred thirty. That's why it's on the list. Okay. It Shit. did very well. Wow. Uh, hey, you know Hugh Grant's got some draw. Um, now, one I, I really do want to talk about Insomnia. Yeah. Um, so, Insomnia is the next film by Christopher Nolan, uh, famed director of Following and Memento, if mm-hmm. you've been keeping up with his filmography. And his next film, I believe, will be Batman Begins. So, I think so. Mm, yeah, that's, I think that's right. Really, really um, impressive where his career is about to go. Um, and yeah, so Insomnia, quick pitch on what the narrative here is about. You have a corrupt cop who is sent to Alaska to investigate a murder. Um, while there, he accidentally kills his partner and then finds his fate sort of intertwined with the killer he's been hunting. Mm. Yeah, um, the, the killer has some knowledge about how that all went down. And now the, yeah. the murder was um, accidental, but he had been... Uh, yeah, Second-degree murder. <laughs> yeah. He, the, he did not go there with the intention to murder his partner. But um, he'd argue... Oh, but, his murder, not the murder he's investigating. Yeah, right. Yeah, his murder, even he starts to, starts to question it, but you're right, his murder is very much accidental, mm-hmm. that where he accidentally kills his partner. Yeah, because he's, he's off in Alaska because he's, like you were saying, corrupt under investigation for some other things, and his partner may or may not have information about uh, that that could get him in trouble. So it, it, he's in the situation to where, you know, he probably didn't kill him on purpose, but since he is dead and now he's like waited so long to say like hey there's tragic accident happened and now it just kind of looks like he's covering up stuff yeah about himself mm-hmm. and to, because Christopher Nolan's films always have sort of some mind mending thing mm-hmm. about them um, this isn't so much about the narrative the way you watch it it's really about Al Pacino the main detective here that we're following is the fact that he can't sleep because there's 24 hours of sunlight and he's also very emotionally wrecked by guilt um, for sort of all of the horrible things he's done. Yeah. So you're kind of watching him kind of slip and lose grip with reality uh, the whole time. Um, so I had a, a quick thing to talk about the cast. There's kind of a big reveal about who the killer is because you don't even see the killer till the last third of the movie. Mm-hmm. And the killer is, of all people, Robin Williams. There he is. Um, and this is the second now of three dark films that Robin Williams will make. We just talked about how delightful Death the Smoochie is. Mm-hmm. And that's two months prior to this, right? It was our movie of the month when we talked about it, because it fucking slays. <laughs> yep. But he's dark in that, and he's very dark in this one, but in a totally different way. This is probably his most reserved performance he's ever given, right? Like, he's very quiet, and just a, seemingly just this normal guy in the town who, uh, what was he? He was a music teacher? Is that what it was? What was his deal? I don't remember. He did something with a young girl and basically like he makes a pass at her and she not only just rebukes him but she's like laughs in his face about it and then he snaps and kills her Mm. so you know that's the when I was saying earlier it's like that's at least second degree murder it's like that's what that is and then the entire time he's sort of he knows about Al Pacino's character's own wrongdoings and is then sort of trying to say like I'll get you out of your crime if you get me out of my crime because he himself also thinks, like, I didn't do anything wrong aside from just the where I lost control that one minute. Um, so 
you kind of there's an interesting duality to the two men and about one who's so brazenly and knowingly corrupt and one who just thinks he's sort of made a mistake and deserves a pass versus one that's just trying to you know find a way out mm. find a way to get out of this scenario you also have uh to round out the cast you have like hillary swank is in this and her character is so much like huxley from demolition man it's fucking bothers me <laughs> um she because she even looks to al pacino the way that huxley looked to uh, what's his face stallone's character in demolition Man. i don't remember his name uh john spartan yeah john spartan yeah the john spartan worship she does the same thing because she's like into <laughs> detective mystery stuff doe-eyed adoration yeah um i don't know i have a couple of other points to make i guess which is just like one it's beautifully shot and um you know, Christopher Nolan makes great use of filming in Alaska. The Alaskan wilderness is beautiful, and the way that he captures it is gorgeous. A lot of really interesting scenes, including the the there's a cabin shootout that occurs. I'll just mention these things if you haven't seen the movie. But the cabin shootout at the beginning of the movie, the log chase in the middle of it, um, a lot of really cool scenes that were so practical, where it's very much just like using what's around you, but slapping a camera down, and you know, getting a wide lens so you see just how mammoth the environment is that they're in um again two really really good performances which are just off brand for who they are like it's it's good um and i guess my last point and probably i think this is the most interesting thing about it is that it is the perfect counterpoint to like the murder by numbers that i talked about where there's all this psychoanalysis and it's all meaningless and bullshit al pacino's character is probably the realest detective there ever was where all he's doing is like falsifying evidence <laughs> and like framing people and doing all that dirty corrupt cop shit yeah, I got a hunch I got a hunch that it was this so I'm gonna make it look like it was and he does everything there are scenes where he is fabricating evidence um, forcing false confessions uh, and just doing all kinds of abuse of a power and just beating people up like he does everything he's got the full house of just shitty cop things you can do <laughs> so like he deserves to go under for this uh and yeah it's it's probably far more real take on what happens in murder mm. investigations than uh trying to build a profile of the killer and all of this detective work and shit like i don't know it's it's funny i think it's a really good movie um worth revisiting if yeah, you're for a sure. fan of christopher nolan but it's probably pretty low on the on the docket if you're going to revisit his films. Well, it's also one of the the more, like, I guess, uh, for, for lack of a better word, like, straightforward in terms of like the, the way it's structured. It doesn't really have any sort of, like, gimmicky things about how he's manipulating uh, uh, time or doing, like, these, these uh, timeline editing tricks to yeah. change your perception of like the characters. Tenet, he did Interstellar, too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Tenet and Interstellar and Inception. It's kind Memento. of yeah, yeah, um, and uh, he's he's usually pretty good at it. Tenet, yeah. I, I didn't like so much, but um, usually pretty good at uh, cutting films and showing you sequences in in a, a certain order to where it's altering your perception of the the narrative or the characters. And what's most successful, it's like uh, altering your perception of the characters and the journey that they're on. Um, by the way, he's he's cutting the film and showing you things in a certain order. Uh, but this is just kind of. Like the things happen in the order uh, chronologically. Yeah, there's there's never any like narrative twist to mm -hmm. it. It's all straightforward. You're sort of watching him be kind of broken. Yeah, and the, you like, know there is something to say about like just being able to make one of those movies successfully. It's not also for what it's worth. This is a remake. Oh, get out of here! This was a remake of a film that was made. I want to say it was a Danish film. Hmm. 
Um, okay. That yeah, that was based on a book. So like, um, was Michael Fassbender in it. He's in everything. Michael Fassbender probably. Yeah. Probably. He's in all those Scandinavian films. But yeah, the, he doesn't the, age. The director of the original said um, he was very proud to have Christopher Nolan do the remake of the movie. Christopher Nolan himself says that he thinks this is his most underrated film, and hmm. that he, it was the most fun he's ever had filming a movie. Uh, probably the lowest pressure he's ever had as well. So. Um, I think yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff about this movie. But yeah, it's good. Very cool. What, what, what do you think it costs to make? Um, I will say forty million. Okay. I don't know, fifty. Wes is closer. Forty-six. Mm. Forty-six. But yeah, you've been pretty on the money today. You kind of you're getting close to the pen on these. This is good. No, what did it make? What was this? In the I think it made its money back. Yeah. Now I wonder if it's not going to make as much money as Star Wars or Spider Man. Did it beat About a Boy? <laughs> about a Boy, mind you, clocking in at one thirty. One thirty. I don't think it did. I will say a respectable eighty million. Eighty million. What do you got? About one. One dollar. One hundred. Good guess. Good guess over here. One thirteen. Nice. I was actually about to say one thirteen. Ooh, that would have been very I close. was about to. Oh, very close. Uh, next, we've got Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. It's an animated film. It's about oh, it's a, horse. a horse. Yeah, there's the horse. Cal- horse. Cal- I've seen this cover art. Made by Kelly Asbury, uh, who has a lot of animated credits, including Smurfs and Gnomes. Good. Uh, in spite of that, as I didn't, I didn't watch this movie. Um, I know Matt no, Damon. You don't want to watch an animated movie about a horse? No, this is a dream. Horse. Matt Damon's in it. Matt Damon's the voice of a, of the horse, I presume. Because he was also in Titan A.E., another animated movie that we talked about a couple years back. Yeah. Was there a time where he was trying to get a, be a voice actor? I think there was a time where he was just trying to get work. Mm. He actually talks about this as sort of Titan A.E. not become a trilogy. Come on. <laughs> because it made no money. <laughs> Come on, it, 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 That it, movie was a gift. It put the Fox animated division just totally out of business. <laughs> and, well, and this is DreamWorks, mind you. This is DreamWorks animation. Oh, sure. I Ooh. saw it at theaters and enjoyed it. This is, you guys to live on Bob. <laughs> yeah. This is a combination CG hand-drawn animated film. Hmm. Um, you know, and of course, DreamWorks had just released Shrek, so mm. they got money to throw around. Like, yeah, of course, maybe cool. sure. And yeah, as I understand, it actually it garnered a ton of positive reviews, and this is apparently the thing that most people said about it was just that there is none of the stuff that you commonly associated with like American kids animated films. There's never any kitsch, cute characters. Even in like Mulan, where all of the characters are fairly straightforward, you have a number of characters that are just silly. Mm. Silly for the sake of silly. And there's not a single silly character. This is supposed to be a very faithful, um, you know, adult, serious, animated film. Okay. Um, and it got, yeah, again, it got really good reviews. It did, you know, I didn't see it, so I can't comment. It must have been tough for Damon to see Affleck getting all this work. At the time where he's doing a lot of voice acting. Uh, well, okay, so for what it's worth, two interesting points on that. One, Matt Damon's going to have a movie come come out this mm. year that completely rebrands him. Yep. So he'll be fine, but at this time, he's probably like, holy shit, my career's falling apart. Mm. Which movie? We'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll talk about it. It actually might come out it might come out in June. I know it comes out really, really soon. But anyway, um, oh, and the other thing that's interesting that I found out about it is that the two of them were broke within six months of having released 
Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Because they spent, they apparently like both got $60,000 cheaps and got like an expensive penthouse apartment in Boston and pissed away all their money having parties. Well, that's what you do. Yeah, <laughs> Academy Award winners. They have a, they figured it out afterwards, of course, but I thought mm. that was a funny story. Yeah, and I, I know that Yeah, there's a while there where his career wasn't that great. Another uh, making movies about Hawk and Nikes. But speaking of uh, our boy Ben Affleck, some of all fears came out. Oh, we didn't do the numbers. Do we do the numbers? Oh, for Spirit? What did Spirit? Well, There's no way I could have. I mean, you're going first this time, though. Uh, it's an animated five. Five dollars. Um, definitely more than that. Uh, fifteen. Mil- I'll leave some space. I'll say fifteen million dollars. Animated movies are so variable. It's hard to guess. Eighty million. Wow. What the fuck? I'm technically closer. 80 million dollars. <laughs> I'm 65 the million dollars off. Fuck. This is a Kelly Asbury film. You know, this is this guy makes the fucking Smurfs movies. They're going to go out. <laughs> <laughs> what did it make in the theaters? Didn't make its money back. Wow, I'm 90. You think it made its money back? Oh, sure. Geez. Barely. I will go higher. 100 million. 122. Yes. And here's the thing: if you look at the movies that were successful this month, what's the kids' movie? What's the animated That's kids Star movie? Wars? There isn't one. <laughs> yeah, no, no self-respecting parents should take their kids to see that. Spider-Man. Show. Go, go see Jar Jar Banks. Maybe even Spider-Man. Spider-Man's like an action movie. Yeah. There's no like just obvious like. Take your five-year-old. That's animated. There's a drawing of a horse. Mm. Here you yeah, go. Willem Dafoe did take a glider to the dick. So that was a rough one. <laughs> All right, last but it's, his dick is so massive. Anywhere you hit him, pretty much <laughs> over the throat, his dick's getting nicked. Uh, okay. So some of all fears. I don't know what it's doing up there, but you know, he's probably, he's probably just sleeping upside down like a bat. <laughs> Can't take you guys anywhere. We've been going for two hours. <laughs> We're getting I'm to that point. loopy, man. <laughs> all right, let's, let's, yeah. wrap, let's wrap this up. Hell yeah. Some of all fears. This yes. is a Phil Alden Robinson film. Three uh, names. Only made six films total, uh, including this, and one of which is Field of Dreams. Oh, fascinating. So, okay. Any uh, other baseball movies? I don't know. Mm. Okay. Angels in the Outfield. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Yeah. No, no, I don't know what he did. Um, so this is the fourth installment of the Tom Clancy series. Chronologically in the books, this is also the fourth book, like mm. if you followed. What is it Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, and what am I missing? Uh, Clear and Present Danger. Okay. Like, I watched all those movies. I, I really like this. I liked those three films a lot. Um, and yeah, so this is still the same character of Jack Ryan, but you're probably like, why is Ben Affleck in this if it's... If, Ben Affleck is probably 30 years younger than Harrison Ford. Mm. Why is he? So what they did is they sort of took some liberties and rebooted the series, too. So it's technically after the events of those other ones, but it's a young Jack Ryan as opposed to the old Jack Ryan that it should have been. Movie magic. Yeah, which is weird because this is the highest stakes movie by far of all of them. Because, you know, obviously Hunt for Red October is about them trying to prevent, you know, a nuclear war between submarines but um, ultimately lose a misunderstanding yeah 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 and then like Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger there's a lot of like espionage stuff but it's a few action scenes but it's very small scale and then this one when we get to what actually happens in this it's absurd it's fucking crazy um, but yeah so it stars Ben Affleck and he really struggles in this movie he struggles real hard he does not have like the gravitas or whatever to carry this 
He looks so kind of out of place. Hmm. And, you know, I think he's... Ben Affleck has, is a good actor, and he's been good in other movies, but this was just really weird casting, and I, I don't know. I mean, sure, he's had a lot of successes prior to this. Armageddon, Pearl Harbor, he's a recognizable face. But as Jack Ryan, it's like, no. This, is, this doesn't work for him at all. Uh, the director, yeah, there's a really good cast here, though. Uh, James Cromwell, Philip Baker Hall, Lee Schreiber, Morgan Freeman. Um, there's a lot of really, really good, you know, it guy actors you would expect to be in a movie like this um yeah it's also just like tonally really weird it's tonally all over the place this movie doesn't know what it's trying to do or try to be and I think in a lot of ways it's sort of it's it's like uh what was that what's that president show that um West Wing yeah you know like how West Wing is very starry eyed has a very starry eyed view oh, yeah. and over assumes the intelligence of political leaders mm-hmm this does the exact same fucking thing. Like, there's this scene where Morgan Freeman's like, oh, you're about to meet the president. You need to wear a tie. And it's like, oh, eat shit, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> Clown. No, like, it's... If you get... If you think about, like, the fucking advisors to the president, or guys like Stephen Miller. Mm-hmm. How can Steve you Steve Bannon. How, yeah, Stephen Bannon. How could you take this movie seriously? Like, it's so... There's a... There's an arrogance to this film that just bothered me. Um, and the big moment that happens in it is they literally set off a nuclear bomb in an American city. Uh-oh. In Baltimore. Killing certainly millions. Mm-hmm. And the movie just sort of, like, moves past it. Like, there's also a stupid love arc, like a love, love triangle, not triangle, but like a, like a romantic arc for Ben Affleck's character. And Morgan he, Freeman. He, he falls, <laughs> yeah, he falls for this woman who is, like, a... Uh, a doctor or like a nurse or something at a Baltimore hospital. Denise Richards. Yeah, it's, it's sad. It's not Denise Richards. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, know, you know, and it's like they set this nuke off and it kills all these people and the, and it immediately picks up after that like, we learned a lot from this one. Mm, yeah. You know? Are you fucking kidding so me? We learned some hard lessons. And it's the same thing as like Hunt for Red October except like the nuke actually goes off and kills a lot of innocent people and it's like we think about what happens with the events of 9-11 it's like by the scale of it a couple thousand people died and we lost our goddamn minds like we're gonna let Baltimore get fucking nuked and not just go ham on the world mm-hmm. after that like we would we would just take out everybody we would feel like you're in the right. way there, there, would be, there would be a severe reaction right <laughs> not like, just like live and learn exactly you know we're not gonna be and they tried to play it off like there was this whole like agreement that we would de-escalate all the stuff and it's like these lives had meaning and then it was to bring about peace. It's almost like that shit from fucking um, sorry I'm, I'm struggling for the names of things. Watchmen. You know how Watchmen ends where it's like oh, Osmandius has this whole plan where he's like we're going to kill a lot of people but it's going to bring the world together. Yeah yeah I'll give him a common enemy. It's like it does that but it doesn't realize that Osmandius was the villain. Mm. He was a horrible person. Mm. This movie sucks so hard. I really didn't like this at all. And it's, yeah, again, it just doesn't get it. This movie just doesn't fucking understand itself. It's really condescending. Um, movie of the month, then? What do you think it cost to make? Ooh, okay. I mean, they knew. They dropped a nuke, so. But not a real one. And they had just gotten oh. the Ravens. They had just gotten the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> the poor Orioles. Camden Park is gone. <laughs> uh, Cal Ripken was probably still playing. Yeah, that's true. Oh, he did. Yeah, he was only out there for one inning though before he, <laughs> <laughs> he had to keep the streak alive. Uh, let's see. This movie cost hundred million. 
Oh, God. 125. 68. Okay. Oh, all right. What do you think it made in the theaters? This movie made... 125. <laughs> this movie made 145. 125? It's 194. Okay. Oh, good for them. I mean, it did pretty well. Like, yeah. You know. They would make one more Jack Ryan film. I think it was like in 27, 2014. So there's going to be a big gap between this and the next Jack Ryan film. And I think there's a TV series now. Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3? Is that them? I don't think it's it's that. Yeah, I was about to say Jack Ryan. That's a Amazon series. Yeah. It is now, yeah. Let's get the guy with from The Office. Oh, th- oh, it was uh, it was 300. 300 was the next Jack Ryan movie. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's the guy it. John Krasinski? That's yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's your movies. That's all I had. I'm sure there's other films, but that's enough. Oh, we didn't yeah. talk about the new guy with DJ Qualls. You're right. I knew that was there, and we didn't. Huh? <laughs> we good, good job. Good at us. Good, good job us not talking about it. That movie's dumb. Uh, what's the movie of the month? Is it Spider-Man? I think it's Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. yeah definitely I, I gotta go with Spider-Man for sure. Very good. Um, anything else we need to address about the past? I don't think so. Very this good. It's a long month. Yep. Uh, next up is going to be we're gonna do a Pokemon show. Hell yeah! We're not yeah. gonna do a official show this month. No, we already did that. We talked about Zelda. That was the official show. Yeah. There's not really uh, news to that video much going on. Or. So just no official this month. Yeah. I missed a few weeks, so I'm glad I'm back for the retro show. Yeah. All right. And straight into Pokemon. Straight into Pokemon. I also love Pokemon. There's a new uh, Pokemon in Unite. I just happened to glance at that. Very good. Maybe I'll turn that game on after months of not touching it. You won't. Um, I have been turning it on on a daily basis so I could transfer postcards from Go into my Switch. Look <laughs> get out of here! So I can get a Gimme Ghoul uh, lure. That's funny. Every five every five days, I get a new lure. And, and unite. And in, uh, in Pokemon Go, mm. so I can get my Gimme Ghoul. I'm nice. purposely trying to play other games to take breaks from Zelda. Don't. Because I'm playing a little bit too much time Plow into through it. it. Get through it. Like, I am much... Three weeks. You got this. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Um, so I started up uh, Dokopone Kingdom. Oh, good. Messed around with that a bit. Yeah. Maybe I'll mess with you, Knight. We'll, we'll talk about uh, Dokopone Kingdom when we do a mini show. But Pokemon, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about... Uh, you guys want to, like, try to finish off the the Paldean Pokedex? Are we it. that close? Probably, of course, close. We're pretty close. As long and as we just say we don't give a shit about anything named Iron. <laughs> yep, I think we might have gone through all the irons. But I, no, no, I think uh, I think I'm gonna do a quiz show. Ooh, exciting! Ooh. Get you guys uh, a nice quiz to get through. John there, doing a quiz. Show. There will be a theme. I'm not gonna tell you what it is. Ooh, but uh, that's it. End of podcast. So long. Bye bye.